0: Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound, and uncensored, long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Welcome back to The Ramble, although this will air not exactly when I have returned from six weeks off, that is when this is being recorded, so either I'm going to have a high degree of like airy-fairy brain fog from being off, but I'm going to try and be sharp because I have a sharp guest with me who is, uh, <laughs> we'll about that. Who is awesome. <laughs> Alex Mitchell is a community builder, volunteer, experienced local government change maker and small business owner. Alex has dealt with <laughs> with government at all levels across Canada and she knows what it takes to get things done in a world of constant change, hard decisions and competing interests, which will be a major component of what we talk about here today. Her career includes nearly a decade of public affairs and economic development experience where she has worked to retain and attract new business and investment primarily inside the city hall in Abbotsford, our small little town that we both grew up in city in the country as they call it committed to lifelong learning alex comp- completed her mba at simon fraser university and ba at the university of british columbia she was a fellow in the sfu bd school social innovation lab radius and a 10 western lauren scholar today alex serves in numerous community initiatives including the board of the fraser valley child development center and operates a small business elevating the local wine industry as a certified somali A or er?
1: I mean, it It depends on how many glasses of wine you have.
0: (laughs) I wasn't sure if it was like the tomato, tomato thing, or like. but welcome to the show. Thanks so
1: much. I'm really happy to be here. This Uh, is really great. I'm
0: happy to have you. And for those who are not from our small town of Abbotsford, although I guess I'm technically two towns over now, uh, this conversation is going to kind of go in and out of both what you're doing in your run for city council in Abbotsford politics at the municipal level, but then trying to take it out to a macro level so that whether you're from small town in the United States, in Europe, whichever, they can take something away from this. But I don't want to start there. I want to start with the wine. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) I I was so fascinated when I read that in your bio how did you decide to become a sommelier
1: well you know it's i'm glad you asked because it's um it was a bit of a roundabout kind of kind of journey to get there but i'd always been interested in wine Mm -hmm. um always been interested in learning a little bit more about it and uh, i had had some opportunities to go to some great tastings and Mm -hmm and learn a little bit about it, but I didn't know that much. I didn't have that depth of knowledge. And so I was at a period of my life actually where I had, I had changed jobs, uh, I had finished my master's degree, and, and life was kind of shifting and I thought, well now I just don't know what to do with myself. Well, I have to, you know, <laughs> just one of those people who likes to just do a million things. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, let's, let's delve into this and learn some more. So I took a little course and it was fun. It was a day long course. So then I took another course, which was a couple days. I took another one that was a couple months, and then I thought, okay, I'm just going to dive into this. It's called a WSCT, Wine and Spirits Educations Trust. It's Mm -hmm. kind of the the certifying...
0: um, Is that global or or just national? Yeah, it's
1: based in in the UK, and um, yeah, it's all around the world, and it's the... The certification program for for folks that know a lot about you know the wine trade, mm-hmm. the the hospitality side of things, and then the wine business side of things. So it's fairly academic, mm-hmm. um, and I just dove straight into it and and, and decided to. You know, basically, it was like basically doing another master's degree, but in wine. Um, so, you know, you take all the joy out of drinking it. Oh, do you? Um, I was going to
0: say, I was going to say, does the joy, <laughs> rem- like getting to drink for your degrees.
1: <laughs> no, it's just tasting, Joel. It's just tasting. You know, you just do a lot of like sitting mm-hmm. and swirling and then spitting. Well, I, um, I watched that show.
0: Now I can't remember the name of it. It was a documentary about four guys. Yeah. Do you know which one I'm talking about? It might who, be Somme. Som. Like yeah. yeah. Who went to... That's a masters of wine? No, it's even...
1: Well, there's two streams that you can go down. So one is Court of Master Sommeliers, and I'm sure you know your listeners can tell me if I'm wrong on any of this. But (laughs) there's there's that route, which I think is more um, hospitality oriented and more service oriented. So if you're working as a som in a restaurant or something like that, then that's kind of the path that you go down because you learn how to yeah how to serve everything properly and according to all the right kind of kind of Mm -hmm. protocols and everything. And then the WSET side is more yeah, trade focused, business focused. Um, If you wanna be a a wine writer or a wine consultant, that sort of, that's the path that you
0: go down. So there was, it was fascinating in that because to your point, they were just spitting a lot. Mm -hmm. And like, they're spitting the the most insanely good bottles of wine you could possibly imagine. But I was curious how on earth they afforded Like, okay, so just for those who haven't seen Somme, and I don't know, you can tell me if this is the type of training you did. um, They had to know, like on blind tasting, region, year, like not that wine was from France. Like that wine was from this region in France, Mm -hmm. not just varietal. Like I can barely get, okay, that's a Pinot Gris versus Sauvignon Blanc. You know, and they're just that minutiae. How on earth... Does one cultivate that kind of palate? To be able to just like anything,
1: you gotta you gotta practice, you gotta taste, and then yeah. you have to be really systematic about it, mm-hmm. and, and really be be looking at everything that like actually actually seeing what's in your glass. You know, what are those what are those aromas that are coming up? Mm-hmm. Um, you also have to be a student of history, mm-hmm. and of um, you also have to know about what climate and weather patterns have affected a certain region. Mm-hmm. Um, you need a really significant depth of knowledge into soil types, all of this sort of stuff. So there's there's a lot that you can delve into. Those guys on Somme, maybe they, I can't actually recall now, if They I think they were Court of Master Sommeliers. I think or so. Or they were training to become MWs, which is a master of wine. No,
0: I think it was MW, but. Yeah, okay.
1: Because yeah. we have, I think there's about 20 something Canadian MWs. It's really, really small, small elite group of folks Um, there's an MW who is, I think the head of, uh, the head of European wine purchasing for, Mm -hmm. for BCLDB, for example. Um, so those people are, are true experts. Mm -hmm. I am by no means that much Mm -hmm. of an expert. So I would say my wine knowledge got to the place of being able to say, I know what the varietal is Mm -hmm. and I know what region this is from. And maybe I'm able to pinpoint, you know, a little bit more of the specifics, but I'm not able to tell you the year that it was produced. Mm My, my. Of knowledge is not there.
0: A lot of people say that they can't taste above a fifty-dollar bottle. So, mm. like after fifty bucks, they can't tell the difference if it's worth a hundred, two hundred, a thousand dollars for that bottle. Would that be consistent with how you think about it when you or like? I guess maybe the other side of that question is: Does what is good change? based on your knowledge, or is that completely subjective and individual, no matter w-
1: Yeah, what? well, I think sometimes people get, very, very particular when it comes to wine, and they they attach a lot of value onto price point. Mm. And, uh, and, and a lot of this is branding, too. It's price point branding, how, how that how that um, producer positions themselves in the market, and it's not always about quality and what's in the bottle. Mm. Um, so that's kind of my first caveat, is, is I don't actually think that it's all about price. People go, oh, this is a $500 bottle of something, it must be great. <laughs> well, not necessarily. A hard flex,
0: like... Um,
1: yeah, I, and I, so my, my thing is I always say first and foremost, do you like it? Yeah. If you don't like it, it doesn't matter that it was $2,000 for this for this bottle of wine. If yeah. you don't like it, you don't like it. And at the end of the day, Wine is a drink, and and it's something that you've got to enjoy and find some value in. So if if you're not finding joy in it, then forget it, leave it there. <laughs> drink something that you enjoy. Actually, I'll tell you a story. I did it. I did a wine tasting for a gentleman who had the most incredible collection. He had uh, all the money in the world to spend mm. on all of the all of the wine he could ever uh, want to collect. And it was funny. He said, "Listen, I got a level with you." He said, "I don't know anything about this stuff. I just buy the things that that are in the magazines that people tell me." To buy, he's like, all I know is that it's red wine, and I'm supposed to like it. And I said, well, you know, if you're not finding joy in it, forget it. And I opened up this bottle of Synchromesh Riesling, so BC wine. Um, it's very it, this this one Riesling is quite sweet, mm-hmm. beautifully balanced, high acidity. You know, so it's got that it, again. It's just high acidity, but a lot of sugar, and mm-hmm. it's really beautiful and enjoyable. And he had to sip of this wine and he would like almost broke down in tears. He's like, This reminds me of my childhood. Like, he really enjoyed it. Yeah. And that made me so happy because, at the end of the day, this is an agricultural product. This mm. is something that people make. And, you know, yes, there's lots of pomp and circumstance around how wine is presented, but it really comes down to. Creating something great in the vineyard and then the winemaker doing a great job in production, but mm-hmm. like it has to bring you joy. So, um, price point is not the be all end all by any means. And uh, and I think, you know, tasting past a $50 bottle or a $100 bottle isn't really what it comes down to. But greater education and greater experience around wine lets you appreciate some of the nuances of, of where that where that production location was that place in time so people talk about terroir and um and that really comes down to okay if you if you open up something from 1985 from such and such region that's that's a little moment in time Mm -hmm. of what that place was like Mm -hmm. right then what that what the weather was like and and so many hands went into making it and i think that's what makes it so special is you can appreciate that little moment
0: there is there totally is and it's You know, I'll get to that in a second, but I was just reminded because we just did, um, we we do Okanagan every year, Mm -hmm. um, which is the wine region here in British Columbia. One of them. Yeah. Fraser Valley, where we are now, is also a wine region. Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island. And that's actually happening everywhere. I just read uh, an article that was highlighting a a Dutch wine store that only sourced wines within 400 kilometers of its borders, which means it was Belgium wines, nothing that you would ever— for one see here in british columbia is not shipping internationally but that there's so much more than i guess the myopic or the traditional sonoma napa totally pino oregon australia you know yada 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 mendoza like it it's not that 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 is what i guess built the end or the industry was built on those regions in in terms of the public eye but it is There's a lot more to explore.
1: Oh, there's so much to explore. I mean, I'm a big fan of Hungarian wine. I think it's such an interesting region with so much history. Um, I went to, uh, to Budapest a couple years ago just before covid yeah. and and yeah i got to taste wine from from all over hungary austrian wine incredible mm-hmm. there's lots of there's lots of great production all around the world and so i just think you got to you got to taste it all you got to experience it all um and i would love to be in a place where you know our our, our liquor laws were a little little more a little more liberal around import export yeah, it's so all that it's all premium here, here. yeah <laughs> Our producers here would be able yeah. to to export ease more more mm-hmm. easily and then and then for us to be able to bring in great products from around the world as well also just to be able to have BC wine available in Ontario yeah. and vice versa That's
0: so strange. It's very That's strange. so strange. I mean, for the, for for the US listeners it's like like a bottle if, it, if you take a wine you take a spirit here sometimes it's double the price mm-hmm. as it is in in certain states. So it makes uh, for us drinkers, it's 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 more expensive (laughs) A lot of taxes, (laughs) a lot of taxes on it. But I, I, you know, maybe, maybe we can finish on this note because on the wine part, you know, we, well, I, I got introduced to the concept, I never got to do one, of a vertical tasting. Okay. So for those of you who don't know what that is, that's. You're, like you, you, you drink the oldest bottle first with your charcuterie. So theoretically, oldest equals best, and then as the dinner progresses or the meal progresses, you age up, I think, in the same, ver, the same bottle, varietal. I don't know if you switch after that, but that, and the guy who was telling me about this, it was at a wine, winery called Stoneboat, which mm-hmm. is a Pinot house in, um, between Oliver and Asoyos. They, he just, he spoke about it just with so much passion. And he and it just it reminds me of why I go to the Okanagan every year, mm-hmm. and it reminds me of just this thing that is untangible, intangible <laughs> intangible that wine does when you experience it in the right setting mm-hmm. that isn't about drinking, it's not intangible. about the alcohol it's It's not about the price point. And I guess the question baked into that is like, why do you love wine, and why should others, you know, who who have an inkling for it or who go buy the the box Copper Moon, another cheap one for U- U.S. <laughs> folks um, here, should try it differently? Like, what's what's the selling point on mm. wine as a culture, not not wine as just a, a drink.
1: Yeah. I love that question. And I think it's that wine to me symbolizes mm-hmm. all of the complexity that you could have, all mm. of the differences of opinions. This is good. This isn't mm. good. This is a good year. This is a bad year. All of the different different viewpoints all along the way. Um, it's also a product that people have been making for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's existed for a long time. And so to me, there's something really beautiful about that practice of growing something in the ground, um, carefully tending to it, mm-hmm. harvesting it, and turning it into something even more special that you can then share with friends and family and bring people together over, mm-hmm. that you can put tuck away for a few years and experience in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. And it's also that, you know, wine is alive or at least you know with good wine it should be right <laughs> wine is something that yeah it does evolve it does become something new and different um, over many years and I think that is, is a beautiful thing so you know what you what you opened in 2000 is going to taste radically different in 2020 and and if you have something that you're going to taste in 2030 to revisit maybe that wine over many years is, is a really beautiful thing because hey we're all, we're all evolving and, and, and so is so is what's in your bottle. It's kind of exciting.
0: It is. I guess, okay, I lied. I have one more question in the front. <laughs> How does somebody set, stick their toe into this game? Not not the game of like trying to build a cellar necessarily, yeah. but just trying to, to tap into slightly better bottles.
1: Yeah. You know, I think the first thing, especially if you're, you know, in a place like BC, um, but no matter where you are in the world, go and visit a local wine region. Mm-hmm. Go and actually see it. Go see that agriculture up close and see how production is done. And take some time to sit with the wine that, that you're poured. Think about it. Ask yourself some questions, you mm-hmm. know? What am I smelling? Um, what does it look like? What am I seeing? What do I enjoy about it? What do I not enjoy about it? How does it mm. how does it feel? What, you know, is it is it is it sweet? Is it um is it is there bitterness going on? Is mm. it just what's in my glass? Take some time with it to reflect on it and ask some questions and learn about how it's produced.
0: Yeah. yeah. We do that with our daughters when we have a bottle, we um we make them smell it. Yeah. And at first we're like, "Holy crap, we have like little little on our hands here because it was like <laughs> I smell, you know, licorice and chocolate and coffee and vanilla. And then we're like, wow, they like get it. You know, you're reading (laughs) or they say like cherry, you know, dark fruit or peach, you know, stone food or something like that. And then all of a sudden that became the answer for everything (laughs) else that they ever, (laughs) it was like the same thing. like, wait a second. Now, like, I don't know if you actually knew that or you just picked a bunch of like,
1: they're just like everything smells like licorice. From everything here on is out. licorice now. I mean, yeah, it's like yeah. well, if
0: it's subjective, I guess you could be right. But I'm reading the notes here, and I'm
1: that's too funny. So I love how you got your kids to actually smell <laughs> oh, it and write down don't. the tasting. Now that's pretty we,
0: awesome. We well, it's partly it's selfish because then it's like maybe they'll help me. <laughs> you know, those innocent noses <laughs> they can. This, this thing is destroyed after years of smelling the uh, the manure in Abbotsford. Oh, sure. oh, man. <laughs> so, our farming community. Okay, so uh, two things I've learned about you: the smaller being one. The second is that you studied for a year, no, a month, no, not studied. You lived in a Buddhist <laughs> monastery for a month, and I would like to to segue that into politics but sure. tell me how how that part happened how did you end up for a full month was this like a thailand like you were partying and then like <laughs> they were like there and I, you, wasn't that <laughs> cool, I
1: have to tell you that wasn't that that was not the trajectory at all um no i was um i was at a point where i had I was, had i finished university yes i had finished university and i was I decided let's go and do another you know another little bit of traveling. I mean, how privileged to be able to get that opportunity to take off and go and see parts of the world and and so uh, so yeah, I wanted to to head out and do that. So I ended up it was a yeah it was one month at this monastery in southern Taiwan,
0: southern Taiwan. Yeah, okay. and that was
1: it was it was really quite black quite,
0: sands, not the monastery, the beaches. No. I, I there's volcanic be- I, I sorry. You
1: know, I didn't actually go to too many places well, around were, there. I was just you in were, the mo- you, know, you, know, just you were
0: living that but, lifestyle of <laughs>
1: <laughs> But you know, it was it was a really powerful time to kind of take away all of those um those those pieces of comfort that that you get very used to and um, the attachment to technology and you know, just just the busyness of life and to actually focus inward mm-hmm. um, so part of that there was you know it was kind of learning about learning about meditation, learning about Buddhism
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which was which is great I've always I've always enjoyed learning about different you know religions, faiths viewpoints, all of that but then part of it was a silent meditation retreat and so you actually had to just sit there in silence for uh, for, for the full month. Not for the full month. but mm. that part was two weeks. Um, Still, and yeah, and you just sit there and you meditate mm. all day. And um, what was so interesting was, you know, you think that you we always have our voice going on all of the time, you know, and we're we're constantly we're constantly thinking, and that that verbal monologue is going on. But when you actually stop talking, you hear it more. And you begin to get all these insights on mm-hmm. who you are and how you show up in the world. And you, the more you listen to it, the more you have to come to terms with whether or not you like that person mm-hmm. who's um, who, who you're hearing from. And I had to sit there and I had to go, "Wow, like I think I'm I'm being very judgmental. Like my my internal voice is not the kind of person that I want to be in the world." And so you yeah. get that greater awareness, and you go, "Okay." I'm learning more about about myself and my own baggage and everything else. And it becomes a really powerful transformational experience if you're willing to do that work and if you're willing to kind of really come to terms with where you're at. And so, so yeah, I, I found it really meaningful. I came out of that just with a, a, a deeper sense of who I was, but then also the work that I wanted to do, to become the person I wanted to be, mm-hmm. um, so it was, yeah, really, really meaningful. I would recommend, I would recommend that to anybody who can, who can take a little bit of time out of their their daily life and out of the busyness, mm-hmm. just to sit with themselves and reflect.
0: They don't I, sit with ourselves yeah. enough. I know. I, I think it should be mandatory. Mm-hmm. I think it should be mandatory, and I think it should be funded by the government to, for people to not vacation, yeah. but to. To do these types of healing modalities that are outside of the allopathic medical s- system, that you know, how simple is it? Just go sit. Have have the the luxury of sitting in a place and doing nothing for two weeks or, yeah. or a month. And you know, I I yeah, I would agree. the The inner voice, the loud inner voice, is a bit of an asshole. The quiet right. one yeah. is is beautiful and mm-hmm. and knows and and it takes that. And I had I've never done a silence retreat. I've done different types of ceremonies, etc. But the I had read from Pico Iyer, who's a great travel writer, that and he wrote a book called Stillness. No, Stillness Speaks is Eckhart. Totally, I, I mm. hit, Pico Iyer has one that's like in the TED series, yeah. and there's there's actually like a the same type of experience you can have, say, in a in a with a psychedelic, mm-hmm. you can have mm. in silence. And it just, it kind of happens. This euphoric, this release of so much, this clarity. Mm-hmm. Because the voice does calm down. I, or yeah. I should say in your yeah. experience, like I find four days of something is when, like in the beginning, it's just screaming at you and the judgments are higher and the totally. the anger is higher at yourself at yeah. others, this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden, it just starts to quiet. And that's when we really start to mm-hmm. to see things clearly. But I am very curious, why did you, cause that's like, that's a very specific intentional thing to do, especially at a young age when, you know, let's go to Ibiza, let's go to <laughs> full moon party, you know, let's go to Bondi beach, etc. Yeah. No, I'm going to go to Southern Taiwan and sit in silence for two weeks. What was going on for you? Why yeah. did you decide to do that?
1: I think I was at a point in my life that was filled with change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There was definitely a point because again I was saying was it after university or not, and it was. And I, if I think back to that time, I was definitely. Unsure of what the future was going to look like. And I mean, gosh, aren't we all at different times? But at that moment, I was going like, I wake up every morning, (laughs) oh God,
0: what's the future?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it was, you know, early 20s going, okay, what is my place going to be in the world? You know, do I go out and and find a job? Am I, what do I want to be? All of those, all of those questions. Um, so that was definitely on my mind. I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe this will help me get some clarity
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just challenge myself with a different perspective and a different way of doing things that could, you know, awaken some other source of creativity mm-hmm. and, and ideas. Um, so I think that was part of it.
0: But you knew enough to know that it might help. So what was the influence? Was it parents? Was it, had you already... Had an introduction into Buddhism or Zen Buddhism or Taoism, like it's something that said that because some some people might might not even know that's an option. Yeah, but you knew it was an option. Yeah, was the
1: that's yeah that's actually I mean it makes me wonder myself. uh, (laughs) I think (laughs) that that was an option. (laughs) You know, I have to say I feel so grateful Mm -hmm. for for the fact that I think so many possibilities and doors have been open in my life, from people I've met, from mentors, teachers, Every, at, I've, I've had opportunities that I think, you know, so many, especially young people, if, if they were to have those similar opportunities, you know, they, it would just be, you know, their potential would be endless. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that door was open because all all through life, you know, you sort of plant some seeds and everything else and you meet people and you foster relationships and people share opportunities with you as they come up and mm-hmm. everything. And so I don't even know how I found out about the option to go there. I don't recall why or how mm-hmm. but I think it could have been as simple as, as as something arriving in an in an inbox and going, Oh, oh that sounds yeah, that sounds cool. Um, and I was hesitant to go, yeah. actually. I was up, I was running like a Rotary Youth Conference on the island. And um, there was a woman there who was volunteering. She was a um, a psychologist, um, you know, there to, to help some of the students through things. And um, turned out she just sort of was helping me uh, at one mm-hmm. point. And I remember sitting with her. I said, okay, well, I have this this opportunity to go. I'd like to go. I'd like to learn. But I'm really nervous about it. Like this idea of sitting with myself feels very uncomfortable yeah. and feels unproductive. That's what I was really focused on. This seems very unproductive to go and not work and not be doing the things you're supposed to do mm-hmm. feels like something I shouldn't do. And she said, well, the fact that it feels a little uncomfortable and maybe a little unproductive and challenges that that part of you that thinks that you must be, you know, mm-hmm. um, producing results at all times is probably exactly the reason why this is important. Mm -hmm. So you should, you should go and do that. So she absolutely encouraged me to go and, and take that time. Yeah. And I think, you know, like we're saying everybody should do meditation or should do these. Yes. But I also think it is not lost on me how much privilege is involved with taking Mm -hmm. a month out of your life to go and do something like that. And so we got to find ways to encourage that in the day to day. Mm-hmm. And I am not good at it. Like, do I meditate every day? No, I do not. I struggle with that.
0: Well, I don't think you have to meditate you know? every day. I agree. I agree. I, I think that the, the it's a problem that it is a privilege. Yeah. I think there's a problem that there's a price tag attached with doing things that support our basic well-being mm. because we're structured in a forward motion you know and and we're wired that way yeah. don't get me wrong that's suggest- and, and there's fulfillment that comes from it, yeah. but then when we're sick and tired and Europe probably does as I understand it countries in, in Europe do it a little bit better than we do yeah um, you know more forced you know vacation uh you know we, when we've been traveling we've bumped into people from Denmark who've had three years of maternity leave yeah you know and you know face it like in the states what is it six weeks like mom yeah. and baby aren't supposed to be separated in six weeks and uh, you know even a year they're still that baby is not it needs mom and yeah. dad unless you have a village right yeah. a village to raise that child yeah anyway they, I, yeah. that's all I meant is that we're 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 wired in the, in the way that productivity is the totally is that and we're we're in debt in a way that you know it's not and my friend my cousin, who was also my friend, was we were joking. He was also on the podcast, and he said he was driving past this house, and there was uh, it was a it, it was a house where you know people were clearly living below the um, the the normal means that mm-hmm. that we are fortunate enough to have in this country. Mm-hmm. And it was a weekday, and he said they were they were sitting there and they were having a beer on their porch, and he's like. He's like I was watching them. I don't know if he was at a traffic light. He's like they looked so relaxed, mm-hmm. and he said, "I'm stressed out of my mind." He's a wealthy guy. He said, "I am stressed out of my mind."
3: Mm-hmm.
0: He's like maybe they have it right, <laughs> maybe I have it wrong. Maybe, or maybe it's a mix of both. But he's like, yeah. we judge. He's like our society judges that. When here I am the one burning inside
3: mm-hmm.
0: to try and. Level up and level up and level up mm-hmm. and level up. And and like, you know, you just said just. And then you made the choice to lean in when, you know, your thinking was, the outcome of your thinking was, I shouldn't go, it's not productive. Mm-hmm. But instead, you leaned into the, the process of your thinking, which is, well, wait a second. Why am I, why should that be the outcome? And maybe I should investigate how I'm getting to that outcome. So... I've rambled, (laughs) but now we're segueing. You're stepping into, and I don't know if this was a realization of your retreat to decide that you wanted to step into politics. You're running for city council here in Abbotsford. It is a very wild time Mm
3: -hmm.
0: to step into these types of roles. Politics Mm -hmm. has always been passionate, but now everyone else is... Very passionate about yeah. things. So, why did you decide to throw your hat in the ring? Was it a hard decision? Tell me. Tell me all about mm-hmm. all of it. How, how it came to yeah. be. All of it.
1: I mean, I would say that this is this was the actual running for office piece was a shift because I've always optimized for impact. That's always been the driver. You wanna make community impact, you wanna do public service. I've been able to do that in a lot of different kinds of ways, whether that's working in local government or you know not-for-profit boards and things like that. So that's been, been great, but I think what came up for me was I got to a place where I went, okay, the end of the day, no matter how much advice you give, and no matter how much you work within a an institution at, at that staff level, um, you don't actually get to be the decision maker. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of those a lot of those pieces that I get really passionate about when it comes to community building and everything get decided at the council table. And so that was that was the drive to actually go forward and do this, but fraught with all sorts of reflection and consideration <laughs> and everything else, because. I mean, gosh, I respect anybody who's willing to put their name forward, even the ones who I vehemently disagree with, um, in terms of their policy standpoints mm-hmm. and everything, because it's it's completely putting yourself out on display, mm-hmm. and it's not easy. Fortunately, a little bit less difficult at the local level. Um, it's not necessarily as um, vitriolic as it can get. <sighs> you know, you see it, what's what's happening in national politics today whether that's in Canada, the US or anywhere else it's in the world. Just
0: about everywhere. It's, yeah. It's it,
1: it's really, <laughs> yeah. really rough and it's hard to find common ground. At the local level I think it's maybe a little bit easier, but also, you know, it's your community. These are your neighbors. These are people mm. that you that you live right next to. Um, which perhaps makes perhaps reduces how vitriolic it gets because people do have to look each other in the face and, and people meet are, each other. They're
0: a lot less so not online, not in the, the somewhat autonomous nature of posting mm-hmm. about how you feel when mm-hmm. they have to look you in the eye.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. Right?
0: People people are a little more human, most of us, when it's just you and them and they're looking you in the eye. For sure. You For know, sure. maybe not in a mob in the streets, maybe not online, but when sitting like you and I are. Yeah. They're like, oh wait, this is a this is another human being on planet Earth. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you know? have to feel a
1: little bit of that sense of yeah. humanity, um, or at least you hope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Once we lose that, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you hope that that's the case.
1: But but no, I wanted to I wanted to do it because you know I care about I care about community service, um, and I love I love Abbotsford. That's you know that's that's where I grew up, and it's about you know everything that I am today has come from. The fact that i grew up in abbotsford Mm -hmm. so people that supported me all through the years it's it's you know people who are still on council actually that 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 pushed me and empowered me to go and get an education and to start businesses and to do interesting work you know so it's it really does come down to the fact that i feel like i'm a product of this community Mm -hmm. and so anything that i can do to get um to, to ensure that you know, the the next generation of people in Abbotsford coming up can have access to those kinds of opportunities that I had. Mm -hmm. Like, like I'm, I'm passionate about making sure that that's possible. Mm
0: -hmm. I agree with you. I, I feel very blessed that I was a, in a smaller pond, so to speak, than a bigger one. I don't know who, what would have changed if I'd grown up in Vancouver versus, you know, Abbotsford. And it was a lot smaller when we were growing up. You know, I grew up surrounded by forest in a new subdivision that is now all subdivisions right and that's just one small like it's 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 just changed drastically but there is this i guess this theme that you're touching on that i think is so important is is we cannot you cannot minimize how important it is especially when you're young and full of all the answers and all the passion. Yeah, I thought I was right about <laughs> right? it. Okay, let me tell <laughs> <laughs> to have mentorship. Yeah. And the grace and and willingness of our I'll call them our elders, mm-hmm. but I only use that term in the sense of people who have just seen a little bit more. They don't have to be old. Yeah. They've just you know what you think you know about they've actually lived. And how that can move you through life if you let it, versus holding on to this. I have all the answers, Mm -hmm. and um, I don't know because you know I'm approaching middle age here. Like I don't know if the youth today still do that. I I imagine they would. I imagine that that idea that mentorship is important and and not just you know online communities, which are good, they they can be good, but that person. Who literally takes you by the hand Mm -hmm. and and in your case leads you to service now service is something that is is a very deliberate choice Mm -hmm. and it's not easy when we carry so many things to be in service of Mm -hmm. what's your philosophy how did you decide to live a life of that service
1: well I try and fail regularly at it you know like it's it's uh, I will not stand here and say, "Oh, I, I love this life of service all the time," and I'm always no. But I think it's a, I think as with anything, it's a practice. It's mm-hmm. a practice of saying, "How am I going to show up today?" And when you know when you're when you're presented with somebody in your life that's having a challenging time, you know, are you going to say, "I don't have time for this," or mm-hmm. are you going to show up and show up for them the way that that you would hope people would show up for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it, it's nothing groundbreaking here. It's it's just as as. As simple as as that. How do I show up today and put in the work today to to try to build something that's a little bit bigger than me?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can do that through politics. You can do that through uh, through your through a not for profit. You can just do that in your family. You can mm-hmm. do that in your household. And and I really do believe that those those individual actions become part of a larger whole and it makes that makes that kind of
0: impact that we need to make that's interesting you said that i just was reading anna green gables to my girls last night and of green gables not anna green gables (laughs) (laughs) and the 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 first line of the chapter was the great essentially the great things are made up of the little things yeah right and that's that's what you're saying yeah and the little things are so much less sexy and exciting, and yeah, equally as rewarding, I think, but because you know you're someone who's accomplished you know when you get the big thing, it's never quite you know my one of my mentors who was a very wealthy, successful woman who f- bought one of my companies, just "Be careful what you wish wish for when I do this mm-hmm. you know sometimes when you get there, you're like, oh. sure <laughs> <Ta-da>. <laughs> whoops yeah,
1: yeah, it was a
0: little easier then, right, but you know, you're you're in it, you're doing it. Right. and
1: that, that that makes me laugh. It kind of makes me think about people in government too. You're like, ah, I want to get elected, <laughs> I want to get elected. And then folks, when they get there, all, it happens all the time, they go, oh, mm-hmm. that's how this works. <laughs> did I really, like, can I, do I really want to do this mm-hmm. kind of work or did I just want the position? <laughs> you go, like, do you know what it, what it actually entails to get to that, to mm-hmm. get to that destination or get to that goal? So I'm glad you said that.
0: It's really, I think that, we we don't give most politicians enough credit for how hard it is to mm-hmm. get to how hard yeah. you have to work over such an extended period of time to to affect one yeah. change at the same time there's obviously self-serving politicians who you know have all kinds of deals that only serve their own interests mm-hmm. and and so it gets it gets muddy but there's so many true public servants out there mm-hmm. And it's, I I I think a true public servant doesn't care whether you know they're a public servant or not. You know, they just, they have a job to do. Mm -hmm. And that has been lost a little bit in what I call like this, uh, politicians becoming celebrities. Mm. Of course a politician has to be liked. You Mm -hmm. can't get elected if you're not liked. But the celebrity access, or the celebrity part makes them unable to do something that that people might not like.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes people don't know what's best for them. Yeah, And this, I guess there's the question woven into this, is like maybe you can speak to it because you, you, know, you, you have some idea of what you want to accomplish. And we get so wrapped up in the issues of the, the issues that become the issues. Mm-hmm. An election about climate change, an election about uh, LGBTQ rights, these are important issues, mm-hmm. but they are one component of thousands hundreds of thousands of of, yeah. of, of micro pieces that, yeah. that you show up and have to do every single day mm-hmm. and then somebody becomes unable to act because they're afraid of their opinion on x y and z right we mm-hmm. w- you know blame us the uh, the mob <laughs> who makes you not allowed to be wrong or have a different opinion yeah. than us and so how do you how do you step into this <laughs> How on earth, <laughs> when you're elected, yeah, I was knock like, well, on it's Early wood, days, days. <laughs> how do you step into this? Like, what is, to your point, in a world of constant change, hard decisions, and competing interests, how do you operate? And then I'm going to build that into how does good government operate, mm-hmm. but let's start with you first.
1: Well, I'll I think the answer is how do you, how do you step into it and how do you deal with all of it I don't say this flippantly but I think the answer is you step into it with compassion
3: mm-hmm.
1: that's the that's the starting point you step into things with compassion and knowing that you know when that person is there and they are heated and passionate and angry about about some sort of decision that's been made that, like you, you just you got to be there and, and join them with compassion so I've, no, you're wrong. This is how it works. Let me show you. That's not the answer. Um, yeah, like taking that time to understand this. This is why. And guess what? This person actually had um, had had a, had a tough go, and things did not line up fairly for them. And they're venting that, and you're the one that they're venting it to. Like um, you have to be willing. I think if you're going to run for office, you have to be willing to understand that. Um, yeah, not everyone is going to like you, but you. You are doing it because you're willing to shoulder the 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 opinions, the needs, the desires, the hopes, and dreams of many different people. Mm-hmm. And so you are just a conduit uh, mm-hmm. in many ways. Um, a conduit for all of those voices and all of those needs. And then at the same time, you're 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 action oriented around trying to trying to do the very best you can with the resources that exist to meet the greatest need. And that's like, it. It is hard. That's really, really hard, you know. And when it comes to local things, like, well, why don't you want more? Um, why don't you want more parks and trails and baseball diamonds and this? Like, no, you want all of that. Like, I want everything. I want all of the all of the things that anybody could ever want. That would be great. But I also know that people can't afford um the tax increases that would make that possible so it's just it's always about it's always about balancing um and i think that you need to have the right balance of the bigger picture this is the budget
2: mm-hmm. this
1: is what's possible this is what's on the table um and then this is the long-term vision but also balanced with this is what this individual person who's coming here upset disenfranchised frustrated that their voice isn't being heard like this this is a part of the conversation, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need you can't lose sight of either one. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when people get elected, they start listening to a couple of the loud voices at the expense of the bigger picture. Or you have folks that just are all big picture, all long-term thinking, and lose the humanity and lose the fact that their decisions have real world implications mm-hmm. on real people and their lives. So you need to have both at all times.
0: It's hard. It's hard. I mean, this is this is you know, it's it's business. It's the same thing as business, right? The visionary CEO is nothing without good operators, good fiduciaries, and you know, we always dream about building the best brand in the world, but what are the resources at your disposal? And that's the thing that, from the armchair, it's hard to see. Yeah. Well, why can't you? Well, that doesn't make any sense. I pay my taxes. Why can't you? Why can't you? And I mean, I've been there, right? Because we all get we get a little bit, you know, passionate about things. And yeah. it's, but is it just a time in the monastery? How do you, what is your process to balance those things when it comes up in your mind and you feel the itch to react to the loudest voice, the squeakiest wheel, mm-hmm. versus pulling yourself back to the process? Mm-hmm. How do you do that?
1: Well, I think you need to have the right foundation in place mm-hmm. to begin with, right? Did you did you do that sort of upfront work in terms of knowing what you want the long term to look like? Like, do we know where we're headed and where we want to uh-huh. be? Because if we don't know that, then it's really hard to not get taken in, in a variety of different directions. But, all of the multitude of things that people will ask you to do, mm-hmm. so so you have to know, and whether that's you know as a as a government entity, having that kind of plan and strategic plan in place and thinking about the long term and that's you as a as a person and as a leader, what's your um, what's your long term like and and have you assessed the things that you will and won't compromise on i think I think you need to know that in order to be able to navigate and then the thing with me is I, I do try. To practice taking those taking those moments, um, and I found myself. I remember a little while ago, I was at a at an event, and um, people were talking about some very very tough uh, lived lived experience with um, with drug abuse and homelessness. And I found myself like really getting getting uncomfortable, and I was going, "Why? Like, why am I? Why am I feeling this way? Like, this isn't my experience." Um, but why is somebody else telling me their their struggles like really making me um, making me so uncomfortable and wanting to close off and not hear it mm-hmm. and so I think it's that practice of saying okay why what's going on here what's coming up why am I having this this mm-hmm. reaction and interrogating it really deeply sitting with it and going like this is actually this is actually the opportunity for me to learn and get a different perspective and delve a little bit deeper into into Myself to be a better mm-hmm. leader. All of this is saying none of it. Like none of it's easy. No, none
0: and of it's easy. no, and that's again. You've just hit on the, th- the, the theme that emerged, which is leaning into the, th- the process of the thinking, yeah, not the outcome of the thinking, right? And if we all did that, I mean, I look at you know go, going back to a bit of a Buddhist view on this. You know, if you listen to someone like Alan Watts, who I'm not saying is a Buddhist specifically, I think, <laughs> although I think he spent a great deal of time focused on and writing about Zen, but he talked about all the mm-hmm. religions. He talked about how essentially we're two sides of one whole, right? So when you tell me something and I disagree with it, your opinion is informing my disagreement mm-hmm. and, my disag- and, and my opinion might form your disagreement, but mm-hmm. it's the opposite that gives us the chance mm-hmm. to think how we want to think about the world. Yeah and this is I mean, we 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 think that this doesn't happen yet the opposite exists in absolutely everything that we do all day every day and what's important to, about that is because it because it is in that resistance just like you've explained mm-hmm. that we have the chance to learn if we entrench into our side we don't have the chance to learn and one of the ways that i've tried to think about this specifically during the last couple of years we've had is like I trust that this person in front of me also cares about the outcome of the world. Yes. Even if I don't agree with how they're trying to get there, Mm -hmm. their intention is good. Mm -hmm. And therefore, to your point, I can cultivate a little degree of or a lot of compassion. Yeah. And then work backwards from that standpoint. And it's this like, you know, you can talk about this because I imagine you're going to have to do some debates soon is. This idea of straw Manning and steel Manning versus hot takes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, straw man is more into the hot take category. But this idea that a steel man argument, for those that don't know, is an argument where you can literally argue the other person's side intelligently. In other words, you can see why they've come to the conclusion they've come to. You might not agree with it, but you mm-hmm. can connect all those dots. A straw man argument is is I disagree with you, so I'm gonna bring up an entirely different point. Yeah. You know, you don't want this building to be built, or are you against progress? No, I'm just against that. We're talking about that building. We're not talking about progress in general, right? That's a very small example. So how does the relationship between the citizen, the voter, and the politician, how does it improve Mm -hmm. municipally, Federally, provincially, yeah. globally. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, yeah, same lessons what can go anywhere. What do we
0: actually need to do mm-hmm. to improve this relationship between these two?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll say two two points um, of which. Are going to seem like i'm contradicting myself but i don't think it is i think it's both at the same time
0: it can uh, be right you, can,
1: you know many <laughs> things can be true <laughs> at the same time so on on the one hand and again i work in i work in communications so i there's the, there's the adage like if you don't understand what i'm trying to get across that's my problem mm-hmm. i haven't delivered it properly I haven't, I haven't adapted the message for it to resonate. Um, so I think that that's true for governments in, in many ways, right? If, if people feel disconnected, and if they feel like they don't trust their institutions and everything else, maybe, maybe government, The institution itself hasn't done enough to be open and transparent and accessible to the people that it's seeking to serve. So I think there's a lot of work that that we need to do as people who are in public service, folks that are making public policy decisions. How do we do a better job of opening up these institutions to be more reflective and in in sync with what people need and want?
0: Do you have an example of that, of how they might-
1: Yeah, no, I think I'll give you, I'll give you one, which I actually, it's not even a government services example, but there's one, you know, in in Abbotsford specifically, um, we have, you know, one of the largest South Asian populations in in Canada and um, most of, most of uh, that diaspora is from Punjab. So strong agricultural community in Abbotsford and also in Punjab. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, um, there's a lot of connection there. Farmers protest was happening Mm -hmm. um, in India became became a global conversation about the rights of farmers, and uh, and that conversation was really active in Abbotsford. I, I think that people in the community wanted so much to feel that their that their leaders at a local level were behind what they were speaking about. Not necessarily that they agreed with everything, but that they they were open to learning about something that was really really relevant um, for a huge component of the population in Abbotsford. So I think that that's one where, you know, as from, you know, a council level, or a leadership level, people that are in those roles need to do more to get out there and connect with those, those, those perspectives and those viewpoints that may feel far away to them, that may feel like things that they don't understand that needs to happen from a services standpoint. You know, when you're when you're building a park, did you actually talk to the neighborhood to make sure that it's what's. Truly needed. I mean, those are all kind of simple public engagement things that we just tend to get wrong time and time again. In communities all over Canada, all over the world, we, you know, sometimes government implements something and, and hasn't actually really checked with the people that are going to be using it. And so you know, I often think like, there's a lot that uh, the government can learn from the private sector and people who've been driving forward on design thinking and um, better user experience for things, like mm-hmm. do we actually center human beings in the things that we're trying to do or not? So So that's the one component. Mm-hmm. Government leaders need to do more to communicate better, to open things up. And to reflect the people they're trying to serve, and on the other hand, um, we as 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 citizens, as residents, as voters, as people, community members, we have a responsibility in this too. Mm-hmm. We've got to show up and say, you know, instead of instead of coming out at, at the end of a decision and 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 in a in a place where a decisions already been made and we're frustrated and we don't like what it looks like. The imperative is on us to be a part of the process too,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's not just voting. You know, voting is voting is important. It's one way that you can show up in your democracy, but like you gotta engage in your community. You've got if you if you want to see things in your community be shaped in a certain way, step up and be a part of it, and mm-hmm. demand that um, demand that kind of accountability, um, and be willing to put your own effort and your own time in. That's I mean. That, so when I say that, that like, that's why I'm running for office mm-hmm. too, right? You, you can complain about things as much as you want, but unless you're willing to actually put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, give of your time, give of yourself a little bit,
2: mm-hmm.
0: then
1: it's all, kind of, it's all kind of hollow.
0: Yeah, Jordan Peterson talks about that. The, the town hall, who, who goes? Yeah. It's the elders, it's not, it's not the youth. You know, mm-hmm. the youth are screaming from the bleachers. And, you know, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> and that is not the process of change. No. You have, to, you have to get your hands in there.
1: You have to show up. Show so, up. So go, is going to the council meeting, you know, accessible to everybody? <laughs> no. I mean, of course, yeah. my community got to drive to City Hall. Maybe you've got you've to hire a, uh, someone to look after your kids. And it's, there's, there's a lot of barriers to getting there. So mm-hmm. that's not great. But on the other hand you got to be willing to, to to your point, get your hands dirty, participate in democracy, make it happen. I went to Ukraine as an election observer. And you want to talk about caring about your democracy? Um, so this would have been, this was pre-COVID. It was um, when they were, uh, it was their, their national elections. And um, as an observer, I got to be in polling stations all around. Uh, it was mm-hmm. actually a s- small community. Uh, it was in Tricassi um small uh, small place um where a lot of the young people had left for other opportunities the people living there um much kind of older age demographic and everything but they had been there in that fight for democracy and every polling station you went into was always, it's like it was 11 women and one token guy and <laughs> the pride that was expressed in this we are we are following the rules we are running the the, the you know the perfect station because We know what it means to fight for democracy, to not have it. And, you know, lives were lost very recently. Lives are still being lost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you would see these old women at the end of the when the polling stations would close, tying up the bags of ballots and everything else, lugging them on their backs, sitting outside of the like the kind of the head office area where you had to bring in all of the votes to have them counted there. Hours and hours, uh, 36 hours in this one community, people waited outside in the heat to be able to make sure that the votes from their neighborhood were counted. Mm -hmm. Like I I get emotional about it because it's like there's this commitment to saying that this matters. We're gonna spend the time and we're gonna work hard and we know what it's like to live in a place where you can't take it for granted. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And we can take it for granted a lot here.
0: That's a really wonderful story to share, and I, it, you know, it hits home. It reminds me of something Bill Maher once said. He said, like, uh, he said, Americans will spend more time researching where to get a taco than, it, I should say, millennials will spend more uh. time researching where to get a taco. <laughs> yeah. Than understanding, and we go back to like, okay, other than the buzzword issue of the election, understanding what it will really mean to vote for the person you're voting for, mm-hmm. right? and you know what that person's really trying to do and i'm i'm just as guilty of it as anybody i'm not going to lie mm-hmm. but that i know inside myself that that's where it changes right is yeah. it changes with us changing the conversation and it also changes with us i think that there's a bit of like a there's a word for it i can't think of it but the 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 relationship that's it's like not codependent but like the 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 way that politicians at the macro stage, are acting the very Trumpian, flippant, divisive type of mm-hmm. leadership, is somewhat reflected in the irateness, or completely, I you know of its citizenry, right? Like we, we're irate and extreme in in how we're showing up. Therefore, they're showing up in in the same way. And it's like, well, where does mm-hmm. the person say, wait a second, let's have, reinsert some level of grace and reverence for this process at the very least some level of respect mm-hmm. we used to be able to agree to disagree in mm-hmm. politics mm-hmm. and that was the foundation of a democracy no yeah <laughs> <Was> well, the... <laughs> well you know yeah is, is
1: trump the the symptom or the impetus exactly, right yeah. and it, it it's hard it's hard to say but the agree to disagree is important, but you can only really agree to disagree when you actually are talking to other humans. Mm-hmm. And I do I do worry with where we're headed sometimes. I mean, I feel very optimistic about a lot of things, but I do worry about the future from the perspective of us kind of all going into our own echo chambers and our own little mm-hmm. silos. And, you know, like I work in communications. We segment audiences. I think what's gonna resonate with this group, that group, that group? and and the message is different for all of these different groups. Because that's how you can better sell products and ideas
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, by targeting that that group. And you go, well, okay, I, I understand the imperative of that for all of those business objectives and everything. But if everyone's getting different messages, then we're all having radically different experiences, and then there isn't a collective one that brings us together. Mm-hmm. We don't all tune into, you know, watch Peter Mansbridge at 6 p.m. every night. Probably for good reason. But you know but 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 what I mean about that is that there 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 was at some point, you know, a shared experience and shared consumption of of, of information that was similar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now there's, you know, there's a um, there's there's content for everyone, mm-hmm. which is cool in some ways, but also challenging in others because there isn't that collective this this is this is what we're going to agree to. We're gonna agree that this is factual or not factual, we're all mm. going to sort of buy into this, this one collective piece. We don't mm-hmm. have that as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So I do worry about that. I do worry about the fact that, you know, information comes from so many different sources now, they're not verified, and then we can all just have totally different, different outcomes in terms of how we, how we, uh, how we take in that information and how we come to believe what is true.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's a process to that. I think that the I think curiosity is really important, mm-hmm. and that we should explore yeah. all of it, yeah. and not just take what's fed to us. Totally. But you are right. Then it, you know, so anything can then become a runaway train, and that, and by anything I mean anything, even from you know from the top. I think that we have. You know, we talk and we I think maybe it'd be an interesting segue into trust in institutions because part of the reason institutions are losing their trust is because they own so much of the media mm-hmm. broad broadly speaking. Mm-hmm. And so people don't are losing trust in how like that information is coming to them, what's being allowed to be said. Again, that's there's a certain degree of that is has to happen. Sometimes companies need funding. Mm-hmm. You know, and but is that funding truly dependent, or is it only, you know, supporting? I mean, we in Canada, we are, we are largely our media is owned by one party. Yeah. In in the states, at least you have the the hardcore split, <laughs> in between. <laughs> you know, you're still choosing your echo chamber, but at least there's both, and we've just seen that move into one thing. And and but like what? Because I'd ask, I'd wanted to ask the question: What makes good government? And and, and why is that important when we are losing trust in our institutions? What, But more importantly, or maybe what makes bad government, but before that, mm-hmm. why are we losing trust and how can it be fixed? Mm-hmm. And then we can get into maybe more the ops side of like how does it really work well yeah. when it's working?
1: Yeah. So why are we losing trust? Well, again, I, I would go back to that, that piece that I was sharing before about, you know, if I'm not communicating effectively, then that's on me. Yeah. Like, for institutions, they haven't done the greatest job of um, of being open and transparent and, and welcoming other viewpoints and perspectives. I mean, you know, if we, and I'll, I'll just come right out and say it, most most governments, most boards are still filled with a bunch of old guys. And hey, I, 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 I love old guys, I know a bunch of them, they're great, but guess what? We need more diversity. Yeah. Point blank, it's important. We know this from a business standpoint. You know, diversity of opinions leads to better results, better products, better design, better outcomes.
0: Can I can I interject? Yeah. But would you agree or disagree that? But not for the sake of diversity. Yes. Yeah. The person of which is is being added still has to have the substance of whatever it is that they're you know the opinion oh, sure. the yeah. the experience all yeah. of these different things and I. I think that yeah, you gotta
1: be qualified. You gotta yeah. meet the fundamentals
0: always. Yeah, because the the again this goes back to the issues being diversity and then you fall into the trap of well if we just hire this to to hire it, but th- then you lose the integrity of, of the role. Mm-hmm. Possibly yeah. not but by no means all the time. And I yeah. do completely agree with yeah. you because that diversity, my gosh, are we in a diverse world.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, every little city in our little corner of the world is exceptionally multicultural. Mm-hmm. You know, and and multi generational, the multicultural, and mm-hmm. that's not changing. It's, it's you know that's yeah. the direction. So, yeah. you cannot have one thing to, that would understand all these different components. Mm-hmm. I I agree with that. Yeah. I apologize. Did you want to add anything? Or no, keep, I no, no I no, I completely yeah. agree.
1: You know, I think that's I think that's an important point. And you know, again, it's like who needs to be at the table? No, you don't need one. Person from every single group, like because then it's like of every single interest group, of mm-hmm. every single like oh, this person has kids, this person doesn't have kids, this person is mm-hmm. this age, this person's not that. That's that's not the point. But mm-hmm. I think the, the my point is more around can we have a can can we open things up a little bit more and start to think about start to think about barriers too. Mm-hmm. Right, there are a lot of barriers that um, that lead us to having less, it's just a smaller number of super qualified female senior executives to sit at the table like mm-hmm. why is that well all through the process barriers along the way mm-hmm. created the roadblocks that you know when I was saying oh I'd love to hire I'd love to hire a, a woman or I'd love to have a woman on this board but there just aren't any here and you go well like there's reasons why you know there's reasons why that's the case there are so many barriers all along the way Women for people of color, like it, it's all it, it, it's all there, and so we have to be serious about understanding that mm-hmm. and and recognizing it and and building those or making those making those changes in the way we operate to to, to elevate great qualified talented brilliant people who are facing way different barriers all along the way and, thinking, and
0: create an environment in which they want to actually step into office right because that's you know, say there's no good. You know, that buzzword of there's no good candidates. Yeah. Less you, of course. (laughs) Um, No, but... I I mean that sincerely, and and we can talk about that later, but because the the citizenry has not created a safe environment for someone to be like, actually, I really love to do that job because that won't ruin my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, they won't smear me all over because I did this or that you know we're all human we all make mistakes i don't think we should be trying to dig in the dirt of people's people's personal lives yeah. to determine their quality as a politician uh, and, a, and, a, and an operator and, and someone who can manage the governance of a country
1: mm-hmm.
0: to a, a degree to the degree that which is yeah. reasonable right yeah so
1: yeah i, I know it's cutting you off. no no <laughs> not at all it's funny i think um you know i think when people think about city council too people go oh like course you know you just you want to go and get this this posh job and you go Mm -hmm. well you know it's actually it's the city councils don't compensate well here in Canada and in different communities it's it's different right it's in Vancouver maybe that's a full-time job in a place like Abbotsford it really pays you as a a part-time job
0: I, I mean it's practically philanthropy I'm not gonna mix words about yeah, that. You are paid. I'm not. we will be paid.
1: Yeah, you don't get a pension. You know, yeah, in like today's day and age, not it's to do it. yeah,
0: it's not like you're raking in bags of money. Mm-hmm. Like it's it. It is not that.
1: Yeah. So why do we think that um, it's primarily lawyers and small business owners and people who are who are. Older and um, have already made their income in life and everything else why do you think that that's why mm-hmm. you have so many candidates that represent that? well because it actually is really tough for somebody who is a bit younger in their career needs to needs to earn that needs to earn an income mm-hmm. to be able to take on an additional job that doesn't compensate super well mm-hmm. it's never but this is it's it's never about money but we have to recognize that people putting their names forward for these kinds of roles are oftentimes taking taking a financial sacrifice to do so and the, like the yeah the the incentives are the incentives are off i'm not doing this to 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 make money you know it's it really is because i want to make a difference as, as trite as that may sound and so yeah the the context and the the, the reality of actually putting your name forward is challenging, it is hard, and, um, and I think specifically of, I, I do think of a lot of female candidates. Um, you know, Even in this, in this region, a lot of women choose not to run again after they've done it once, um, because, of, because the, 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 the online harassment is
2: mm-hmm.
1: much greater for female candidates, it really is. Um, they're dealing with things that, uh, that their male counterparts aren't, and it's hard.
0: It's just I didn't really
1: that. emotionally hard.
0: I'm not I'm not super engaged in the comment world. I just know it as yeah, a general Yeah, it's probably
1: a good choice. But
0: um <laughs> I'm more of a post and ghost kind of guy. Um, <laughs> like in general. I like that but post that's, and ghost. <laughs> it's uh like so that's real that that yeah. women receive more harassment than yeah. men? Yeah. Do people of um color minorities etc receive more harassment than white men is that is that is that
1: a? I would imagine so or at Mm. least the tone and what people are angry about Mm. becomes about how you look Mm -hmm. um your 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 background like it's not you know again it's it's it's, it's, it's the lowest form of criticism, right? to critique someone how, how they physically look or you know, their their cultural background. Like you're really you're really digging into the lowest mm-hmm. thing that you could possibly pick from to, to critique someone on. Um, but it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's that's got to stop. We need that we need greater civility um, in politics overall. And again, that's why I say, like I am not interested ever in slagging another person who's running for office. I'm gonna disagree vehemently with their ideas when I think they're wrong. Mm-hmm. That's you know, that's that's what I've stepped up to do. I'm gonna say, I think that you've you've missed the mark and how you've and how you've landed at this uh, at this idea of a policy that you want to bring forward or whatever the case might be, but it's never about who they are as a person. I respect mm-hmm. them for being there and being part of the conversation. Um, there are a lot of folks that wouldn't that wouldn't subscribe to that, right? That are going to hit low,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and you know that that's part of it when you put your name forward. But it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. It really shouldn't. It
0: shouldn't be. be. No, we're better than that. It makes great theater. It sells newspaper headlines and gets viewers and all that. But it it really shouldn't be. We're we're generally better than that, you know. We we hold ourselves in the regard of like we want governments to be transparent because we can handle the truth. To, you know, a few good men, um the movie, not yeah. going into the yeah. whole white men sort of thing. <laughs> but then at the same time, it's like, okay, yeah. but then if you're going to act like that, you know, the symptom or, yeah. <laughs> you know, the yeah. cause, like right, going back to that. And so yeah. I, I agree that, you know, so we've kind of touched on this idea of better incentives. Maybe you can add to that if you'd like,
1: Oh, I be- will just around, like in terms of incentives around politics, yeah. like the incentives, are, like the skills that it takes to get elected are so different than the skills that it mm-hmm. takes to actually be good at governance. Mm-hmm. And so we really miss that mm-hmm. time and time again. And voters have different things that they might like during an election period or during campaign time. Um, but, you know, sometimes you're like you have to remind people, like, boring is OK. Mm-hmm. Boring can actually be good.
0: I love boring. I love boring government. I don't, That's great. you know, <laughs> I, yeah, you look at these boring leaders who just get stuff done and it's that quiet operator. Yeah. I'm going back to the celebrity piece going, you know, this person is not, who doesn't care what you think. Mm-hmm. They have a goalpost, they're a, a North star they're heading towards. Whether you agree with that North star or not, there's a, you know, there's a methodical process to executing against that. And mm-hmm. that is not getting caught in the weeds of theater mm-hmm. of you know, of anything else. So and I apologize. I didn't the the, mis- the the incentive piece is not to spoil the politician. It's simply to make it a viable option so that yeah. more quality candidates can make this a career choice or at least even worth sacrificing something else um in favor of this, right? Um opportunity mm-hmm. loss. So totally. a better a better environment in which we tap into our compassion and civility, um, and really just check ourselves before we open our mouths. Leadership being much more transparent, treating a, treating the citizenry like it's adults that can handle more than just a soundbite yeah. um, of information. What else do we need to step into a place where, you know, again, inst- trust in our institutions is is improving, and government is operating really well.
1: Mm. What else do we need?
0: Other than those, listen, the list yeah. could be thousands yeah, I long. Was like, oh, Just gosh. name a few that are maybe close to you and mm-hmm. and your message.
1: Yeah, I think it's. Um, it so uh, it's a bit of a repeat from before, but again, centering human beings and the people you're trying to serve and everything that you're doing that has to be number one. The transparency piece really, really key. Um, why should people? It's a, it's a huge disincentive to engage with government when you genuinely don't understand what's being done mm-hmm. with 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 your tax dollars, how decisions are being made. Um, you know the the whole the whole thing that people. We've all we've all seen it before, but the kind of rubber stamp public engagement, um, that's really common. Oh, we went out and talked to people. Well, did you talk to people about a decision that was going to be made and use their input to inform that decision making? Or did you say we talked to people about yeah. a bunch of things and then did something completely different?
0: Or virtue signaling, like, you know, my guy well not my guy, but the guy who's Brad Viss. <laughs> he's, oh, yeah. he's the MP, I think. Yeah. Of my where I live. Yeah. Listen, I I haven't delved into his politics, but all I ever get in the mail is pictures of him, virtue signaling. And I'm like, okay, you spent the money on this letter. Actually tell me something.
1: Mm.
0: I appreciate that you're doing, I'm not saying don't yeah. do those things. It was great mm. to get involved in all these wonderful things. But tell me what you're gonna do.
1: So I have a question for you, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> did you call his office and ask for that? My dad did. Okay. Hey, that's <laughs> yeah. great.
0: My dad's called his office a few times. Okay. In the most recent. Uh, so.
1: But hey, that, <laughs> Maybe that's terrific too. Because most people won't. Yeah. Right. And uh, so this goes back to the uh, putting accountability on on all of us yes. too to actually yeah. show up and say say something. I mean, I used to I used to read uh, when I worked at City Hall. I actually used to read that inbox of council correspondence coming in. Uh, which gave me great insight into what people wanted, what people mm-hmm. were upset about, what some of those challenges were. And I took that. It just, it, I just thought it was such an honor to be able to, to read all of it. Mm-hmm. And it's not always fun to
0: read. I can imagine. <laughs> it's really not. I can imagine. But you go.
1: This person took the time to engage. This mm-hmm. person went a little bit out of their way. And sometimes, especially the ones where people would write in with really well thought out letters, mm-hmm. and you go, like, that's what it's about. That's mm-hmm. what it's about. And and so you hope that where it lands in that institution is somewhere where someone's going to go.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to res- I'm going to respect this effort that was put in, somebody to clearly express what mattered to them, and I'm going to action it or I'm going to do something with it. Mm-hmm. Might not be the outcome that they want, but I'm going to I'm going to value it for the democratic engagement than it is Mm -hmm. and so um anyways that's just that's just me sort of going off on a tangent about that but most people don't phone most people don't ask they just go oh this is the worst and disengage Mm -hmm. which doesn't get us anywhere
0: it certainly does not i've also emailed ed fast (laughs) a few times so you know but by all means not not near enough i guess and I, (laughs) i i mean that sincerely yeah you know, maybe Brad will listen to this podcast.
1: You can send it to him,
0: yeah. <laughs> the, let's just, let's, let's sidestep a little here uh, to when you're in, like how does it work when you're in the room? I think this is important. I mean, this might be dry for people, but I think it's important, like when you're in the room, you're a politician, you're elected, you're in the room, you have a voice, you have a vote, at that level to get things done which is what you said at the beginning you can't you know it's hard to do that from the sidelines so you're now you have a seat at the table how does it work when it's working well Mm. when things are getting done you know let's assume that at the council table it's the same as it is broadly speaking anywhere but that environment is working and it's constructive Mm
1: -hmm. so I think what it looks like is you know you've got First and foremost, a council that's made up of people with great experience and expertise in a variety of different areas. So, you know, folks that know the fundamentals of the local government act, the community charter, the the legislative pieces that actually underpin what it means to be a city councilor. That doesn't always happen. You get a lot of folks that get elected and they go, oh, wait, we're not in charge of... uh, Healthcare and schools at, at the municipal level, and you go, you're not, <laughs> no, like so. Number one, you've got people that understand what is within the, their their levers of control, what they have the authority to make decisions on, um, and what good policy looks like. So you need some expertise. Um, you, ha- you need to have, you know, good fiduciaries there. You need to have... Okay, sorry.
0: Can you backtrack? What does good policy look like? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you said it. I have to. Yeah, no, it's,
1: it's, a, it's a good question. It has to be well-researched, evidence-based, mm-hmm. uh, data-driven. Now I'm just throwing out buzzwords at you, but they're all important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you need to have spent the time looking at, okay, what are unintended consequences mm-hmm. from whatever, whatever this policy may be? All of that consideration, is there a business case um, for moving this forward or not? Um, so it really is about analysis. Um, it's, it's easy to say, oh, well, there should be a, there should be a policy on this. Like, is, it, is it reasonable? Um, the other piece when it comes to public policy, too, is that sometimes some governments can get really, really excited about having a policy for everything. Um, which, is not, which is not great. It really hampers flexibility, hampers innovation within a system. Um, and so you wanna have well-written policy, again, evidence-based, data-driven, everything else, unintended consequences. You're looking at the, you're looking at the ability for there to be um, flexibility in how that comes to life.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that you know, if you get something coming to council that doesn't fit the mold, um, maybe it's a new development proposal a different kind of business um, that doesn't check all of the normal boxes that um, you can say okay well there's room to there's room to interpret there's room to um, there's room to, to bend without breaking um, and we can actually make room for innovative new types of businesses or new types of developments initiatives um, because our public policy framework makes the space for that, and so, where was I going with this? So yeah, good good policy uh, in the system, and then good understanding of public policy at the council table. That's really, really important. And so when things are functioning well, uh, the ideal scenario is that you have um, applications coming to City Hall staff and subject matter experts. Looking at them, analyzing them, coming up with with great evidence based recommendations that they bring to the council table, and council being qualified enough with the right expertise to be able to ask the meaningful questions, the right questions that determine um, whether or not that recommendation from staff is one that they can reasonably support or not support, um, and then you can be you can be able to vote uh, in an informed way. Um, a, a well operating government is one where you are able to properly account for and remove yourself from potential conflicts, mm-hmm. where you know what you're making decisions on are ones where you are separate from the 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 good or bad outcomes, right? So if, you know if, you, if you're landowner in a community um, you're not uh, you're not up zoning it and, and making a whole bunch of money off of it right mm-hmm. highly illegal too so don't ever do that but like that's to me that's that's what that's what good government looks like is it looks like the processes are in place um, the financial footing is solid there's accountability there's transparency and all of the wheels are turning in the right direction and you don't get that when you don't have good expertise
0: mm-hmm that makes a lot of sense. Because what I'm hearing you saying is, or maybe hinting at, which is something I wanted to talk to you about, is urban planning. Mm. <laughs> and obviously not all government. Did you also <laughs> want to be
1: an urban planner when you were young? You sim city <sighs> <Yeah. and
0: things? laughs> Well, I probably played a little Sim, sim city. <laughs> I, um, I just have been fascinated as someone who has traveled extensively. And mm-hmm. this, is not, this is not just me. You just go to anyone who's like, wow. They go to Europe and they're like, wow. I wish I lived in Europe. They might not actually wish it, but they are so enamored and fascinated by that um, beautiful architecture was maintained. That beautiful architecture was mandated, although I don't love that word, but... (laughs) Well, you don't like mandatory? I mean, everyone loves it when things are mandatory. (laughs) To to continue so that you don't get a hodgepodge of, you know, of buildings that yeah. all of a sudden change the whole feel and vibe of an area right mm-hmm. um, just how how clean or yeah this that and the other i think anyone who's been to europe probably has had this experience mm-hmm. and then you you bring that back to our little neck of the woods or any any neck of the woods right you hear about you read about these towns and it's like this town is getting stuff done entrepreneurs are moving there not that it matters whether an entrepreneur moves there young people are moving there why is it that they are able to create an environment that is awesome mm-hmm. and inside the framework of what is otherwise public policy? And you're seeing this, in, you know, and again, in Mac cities, mm-hmm. you hear about you hear about certain places in Montana, you hear about Salt Lake City now being amazing to mm-hmm. visit, right, et cetera, et cetera. And then we go to Abbotsford and Chilliwack. So these are the so the two neighboring cities that yeah. – that are close to us. These are small cities, 100,000 plus ish people's cities, plus or minus. Chilliwack being a bit smaller. And you look at Abbotsford, sort of the older brother of the two, older sister of the two, probably has missed the mark time and time and time and time and time again, as someone who loves this city dearly. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Chilliwack, who's only maybe a decade or so into gentrification and and explosive growth and it's like well they're it looks like they're doing everything right the parks look nicer the downtown is nicer so is this what you're saying when you say interpret the policy to have flexibility to really make good things happen or is
1: yeah yeah (laughs) and i think you know it's it's funny that you bring up chilliwack you know uh I think this, this would be the case in all parts of the world, right? Your neighboring community, there's always some sort of rivalry and competition. And so I would say a lot of folks in Abbotsford feel like all the cool stuff has gone to Chilliwack <laughs> and all the opportunities and growth and everything is, is, is just bypassing Abbotsford, which breaks my heart. Yeah, mine too. Right? It makes me happy that you know, there's, there's great development in Chilliwack because I, I actually I think of things from an economic development lens. So when your region is successful, mm-hmm. um, that's great for everybody but I want Abbotsford to be at the table.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so uh, I think with Chilliwack, what you see is common ground and collaboration and a, a, an absolute commitment to saying yes, which is what we need in Abbotsford. Mm-hmm. We need that commitment to saying yes.
0: In other words, no red tape. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like Regulatory oversight is important. Yeah. But we've got to start from a place of yes first. Do we want investment? Do we want growth? Mm-hmm. Well, let's say yes to that and figure out how to do it. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how to get there. And so that looks like having the private sector on board. That looks like having staff ready to go, being properly staffed to to process applications and to do the work, to do that oversight work that they need to do. And that looks like council saying, actually, growth and long-term growth and making sure that this is a community where our kids and grandkids can have an employment base and jobs and a future here really does matter we're going mm-hmm. to set the foundation for that today mm-hmm. and so alignment is really really key mm-hmm. is the private sector in line is your economic development staff ready to go and support that new application are your um, are your are your regulatory or permitting staff, whether it's in the building department and planning, are they ready to go? Is engineering ready to say yes? Are they just aligned in that in city hall? Is that organization working together to be able to to get to yes? And then is is council and the folks that make up council are they willing to say yes um, when you get there. So Chilliwack is, is a great example of of getting of getting that. And I, I've talked to business owners who operate both in Abbotsford and in Chilliwack. They've opened up a second location in Chilliwack, for example. And they go night and day, mm-hmm. night and day difference.
0: I've heard this too. And how can, how can the commenter like me, who's not in council, you know, forget for a second that I'm an entrepreneur who might start a business in that city. Yeah, How can they be a part of encouraging the yes mentality, the foresight mentality let's hold that thought just for a second because I I just was I was reading something again I was talking about it was talking about the beauty of architecture and how a warehouse back in the day used to look like such such and such a church back in the day Mm -hmm. used to look like such and such and we'll pay thousands of dollars to fly to the other side of the world to go look at a church that looks like that and to go look at a warehouse that maybe isn't a warehouse anymore but it looks like that right when we could also just build them like that cuz <laughs> churches go up all the time warehouses <laughs> go up all the time yeah and so it's like this integ this this commitment to the integrity we already know what's beautiful we know what we like to see so this foresight to build that way and mm-hmm. to plan that way it's not like it's not rocket science okay in there. Yeah. Back to what I said, <laughs> and then maybe it segues into that. Otherwise, that just floats around there. No. <laughs> no. No.
1: I, I. I like it, and I. And I like it specifically around thinking. Okay. We look all around the world for best practices, and who is a great city, and who, what's working well, and not. I just came back from Singapore um, a, a few months ago, and uh, Singapore to me was just a fascinating yeah. place to go to um, because you know it's it's you've, you've got. You've got very streamlined decision making. That's my mm. funny way of explaining the situation. <laughs> it's very streamlined, but it's because you know your um, your your national government is also your local government. Like it's all it's all kind of one entity. But,
0: yeah, they haven't. They they it's a it's a benefit, maybe a curse too. But like I yeah. get what you're saying. They, but
1: you know, so 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 they're able to say this is what we want growth to look like, and we we and they have all the levers to make that happen. When when that happens, though, you give up on freedom, right? Mm-hmm. You give up on individualism.
0: I, I I agree with that, and people will have their opinions on that. I think that the other piece of it too is just geography mm-hmm. as to what you're saying. Small. It's like I'm not saying it's an excuse that Canada is big, therefore there is a certain connectivity issue, and things take longer but yeah. it's, it's true it's really it hard does. to
1: build transit infrastructure yeah. when you know you might have you might have 100 or something users on the all, yeah. all throughout the line right when it's, when you're in Singapore and you build out you know great new state of the art yeah. transit it's, you're
0: it, yeah it's streamlined taiwan everyone. is taiwan is small so you can get to the south where you did your silence retreat and the north mm-hmm. all on high speed train from Taipei, yeah, you know, incredible. It's small, but there's a, there's a high population. So there, that that is that is a reality. Mm-hmm. Geography is a reality. Population is a reality, and yeah. I think you mentioned,
1: but I think the lesson though is that you know if we want to be able to to have communities that can that can say yes to things that can kind of have a little bit more of that alignment around what development looks like, what the future looks like, what things we want to invest in. Um, that does require a little bit of giving up on some of the individualism. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of it because I think we need to have that balance. One of the great things about you know living here is that we, um, we all get to have our say. Um, but if you want to drive forward an agenda, mm-hmm. you need everyone to say, okay, we're going to work as a team. Mm-hmm. And that means a little bit of sacrifice and a little bit of giving up mm-hmm. on some of the details that, that, that may be important to you.
0: Assuming you that that agenda is by and large has the best interests yeah. of the, Absolutely. you know, of the citizens as opposed to those who's, yeah. you know, who've put the agenda forward. But you know, it's, yeah, if you look at a business, you know, with a CEO, there's checks and balances and, and they, um, yeah but they're generally driving towards one thing that mm-hmm. all the shareholders have agreed to. It's a little bit simpler, but.
1: was that is that uh, NASA yeah. thing, you know, like uh, some uh, some old kind of saying. but it's like the, somebody, you, you, you go in and you ask the custodian at NASA, what's your job? They're like, well, going to the moon.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, the, is everybody. Amazing. Is everyone with a seat on the bus, you know, and that's not the right expression. <laughs> there, there is an expression around bus, a metaphor around buses and entrepreneurship but essentially right. good ideas fall apart in the execution when there is when people are not heading in the same direction oh. to achieve that thing, right? I I think that that's I think that's the right thing. So I guess I the question I forgot to ask was how does the commoner like me mm. help make that possible? Is it simply Vote for the person who kind of says that, like says they're going to be a yes person and bring business and investment to the community, or is there other ways in which the population of a, of a or the citizenry of a town can help bring apart the grand vision of the town? Bring to life, bring to fruition the grand vision. Yeah.
1: Oh, I don't have a great simple answer.
0: <laughs> Maybe it's not. Yeah. I
1: don't have a great simple answer because if it's worthwhile, it takes work, yeah. and so um, voting is a great place to start. But it is not everything. And so um, I think it's I think it's constantly showing up and saying, uh, and and being willing to give your time, your expertise, your energy um, mm-hmm. to to driving something forward. Um so maybe that's okay. Well, a barrier, a barrier that we're seeing in, in achieving this outcome is that there isn't enough private sector buy-in. So like we need the pri- we need somebody to organize. And, mm. and I, I think a lot of stuff comes down to organizing. Um, first and foremost, I was an organizer and a volunteer, um, and and it's it's the unsexy mm-hmm. hard work of bringing people together, having lots of conversations, and getting to a place of agreement so we can all actually do something.
0: Yeah, that's that's true.
1: It, 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 every every day I spend every day uh, after work and on the weekends knocking on doors because mm. that's the hard work of Literally. actually t- knocking on doors. Oh,
0: good old fashioned door knocking. Hey,
1: yeah. Is it sexy? No.
0: Do people come out and like? Because like I, when you say that, I think about that uh, that comedian who jokes about how you know back in the day yeah. when people would knock on your door, it would be like <laughs> bring out the food, bring out the wine.
1: You know, I haven't <laughs> had that. And for
0: you know. right, and he says, but today <laughs> it's like. Everyone to the floor. Turn down the lights. Who is no, this? this? They're not invited. <laughs> <laughs> Do people actually open their doors?
1: Sometimes, yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes, yes. I, I, it was so funny. One of our volunteers was saying, um, "You know, she's going to put a sign up when, I, when she when she's eventually able to afford a home." That was the that was the big joke too. But she's, when I'm a, when I can buy a house, I'm going to put a sign up that says "Doorknockers Welcome." Mm-hmm. You want to talk to me about politics? Come on by. <laughs> <laughs> Which I
0: but religion, <laughs> yeah, yeah just like, no, not that, just politics. That's
1: all I want to talk about. But, um, but no, I think it's it's. Some people do, and they're happy to chat. And I mean, at some point in time, we all live on our phones, and again, mm. we all live in our own in our own siloed worlds. Um, nothing ever beats the person, mm-hmm. person. And so um, you just have to work harder to meet people where they're at and to connect with them. And sometimes it is as simple as door knocking.
0: I I would let anybody in to talk to me as long as there was no ask at the end Mm -hmm. for me to sign something, engage in it, Mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witness, um, terrorist, (laughs) politician. If somebody (laughs) just wants to tell me their worldview, the door is open. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Like, because... You know, but there was, I think I remember, like, you know, it's a little sign on the dotted line kind of thing, right? Yeah. It's like the credit card salesman in Walmart or Superstore. Yeah. Like, no. You know, I don't. You know, of yeah. grocery shopping with my kids who are screaming. Yeah. I'm not signing up for your credit card for sure. You've for got sure. me in a vulnerable moment. Okay, I will sign totally. Up for and your people
1: credit. are like, yeah, you're like at my door. Like, I'm good, thanks. You go, okay, that's okay. Like, yeah. it's all good. You don't yeah. have to. You don't. Props you. don't to have to you. support me. You don't have to. It's all. It's all okay. So, mm-hmm. so to answer your question, how do I yeah. go about um, helping create that that change? It really, to me, is like. Are you willing to organize? Are you willing to put in the time and the mm-hmm. effort, and actually show up to things and be engaged, um, and and know what's going on? It's all it's 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 that dual accountability. Mm-hmm. Government leaders, we've got to be accountable to people, but also as a community member, got a responsibility to shape your community too.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, my 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 view on that, you know, begins with the children. You know, educating the children, educating the teenager, teenagers specifically, but. You know, less. This is obviously a controversial opinion, but less focus on after we've we have a very basic foundation of important critical knowledge. Less found, uh, less focus on the continuation of those things, mm-hmm. and more focus on getting people to understand how their world, their local world, their government world. Works and you shouldn't. You shouldn't only understand how your local government or your provincial government works because you have decided to join the, the young politicians club yeah. in your school. Like that is that is, we all need to know how our society functions, because if we don't, then we end up in a situation where one day it doesn't function
1: mm-hmm.
0: because we didn't know.
1: Yeah, and right? we realize how fragile all of this really is. Mm-hmm. Like we, we take it take it for granted a lot, mm-hmm. but democracy is fragile. Institutions are fragile.
0: Good gosh are we seeing that yeah, before living it Yeah, you know and we may not have lived the worst of it I don't know yeah. but I think that you know and then it's like well, okay well wow democracy is fragile now I'm going to go watch some Netflix and listen to some Spotify and scroll some YouTube and Instagram and forget about the fact that it's fragile because that is easier to mm-hmm. do than step in right mm-hmm.
1: and well, I I think um, Dr. William Reeves is a Professor at UBC, um, and he came up with the whole um, ecological footprint model. Um, so, how many how many worlds would it take if everyone were to consume the way uh, you know a typical Canadian does?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so he came up with that research. And I remember he, I had um, I had organized an event in Abbotsford like, back when I was in high school. I begged this guy to come out and speak, and I think he finally uh, acquiesced to my annoying requests. And so he came out. He was talking about climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, the significant one of the most significant collective issues of our time to figure out, and um, you know, we're not great at solving collective problems. Mm. Um, But it was it was funny because he said he was talking about why don't people want to play a role in um, in addressing climate change? Well, because if you were to actually have to sit there and admit the impact that it will have on so many people's lives, then we would have to take some level of moral accountability Mm -hmm. for it. Um, and then we would have to do something and that's a lot to take on. And so I think about when it comes to just, you know, local government and shaping your community of everything else, like if we really realize that we're the ones who are responsible for what, what the outcome of our democracy is, if we really understand that, then we have got to spend some time and we've all got to do some, you know, some some hard work and some unpaid labor to yeah. to make it better and that's that, not easy.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a huge component of it. I think the other components are if politicians hadn't politicized climate change so much, it would be an easier subject to engage yeah. with. And, you know, cuz you you talk you know, there absolutely is a moral accountability to it and it goes down the line of many many things that we need to be more morally accountable to yeah. but you know you look at or you watch before the flood which is leo's mm-hmm. i think that yeah leo's and he's in india where you spent time specifically working with climate change things i don't know what <laughs> but he interviews that <laughs> a lady lot of, like rural <laughs>
1: electrification projects Super yeah cool, i mean yeah. it's
0: like it's really cool and and she's like but this this woman's like you know i get it you consume a lot in america and you're flying a film crew around the world. I mean, she didn't say that, but like to film this documentary, which he acknowledges at some point. But we're in abject poverty, so we're gonna continue to burn cow dung until, you know, you don't need to cast your moral judgments on. Totally. And so it's like, again, it's and this is like one of the counter views that I've always found fascinating about climate change is climate, uh, via energy, is it begins with affordable energy. Mm -hmm. So that, everybody can engage Mm. with it and I am I I so don't know the nuances of of you know these things to 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 have an intelligent conversation but it's like but can you actually say that
1: yeah and it brings (laughs) up yeah so much around around equity right I mean like okay thanks for preaching to me uh you know north america about how things should be when you've lived a you know vastly improved quality of life for most of your Mm residents for like many many years okay thanks so much (laughs) you know it's it's like the um it's like some of those environmentalists who were taking issue with how Inuit would 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 seal Whale. meat or seal, yeah. right and you go well actually that's that's been the practice for someone's going to get mad at me but that's been the practice and the traditional practice yeah. for many many and years in this world community theirs. right like <laughs> yeah. so would you prefer that people fly up um and, and use and use hydrocarp burn hydrocarbons to fly up processed food from the south so that people can eat them? or would you Just respect that there's a different way of life. Mm -hmm. So yes, there's so many equity things around all of this. And you know, thanks so much for telling me not to drive my car. I just need to feed my kids and Mm -hmm. pay for groceries and like.
0: Mm. It's it's true, and this goes back to grace and reverence. And I I, I read just recently that one of the 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 best and simplest and most effective ways of, of of approaching environmentalism and climate and the climate crisis. Is to get people to fall in love with nature. Yeah. Not to totally. force an opinion on whether or not we should build wind wind farms. Sure, maybe mm-hmm. you should, but that's not the point of entry. No. Organically, if you love this earth, you want to take care of this earth. Mm-hmm. You have reverence for it. You pick up the piece of garbage on the Abbey Grind, or, or which is a trail in Abbotsford, or you know the West yeah. Coast Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, whatever yeah. it is. You. Because all of a sudden it becomes more to you than a resource to exploit or mm-hmm. use. And then slowly and then fast thing you start to change how you live. Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about hunting before mm-hmm. the podcast started. That's one of the reasons I got into I moved from the city to a farm mm-hmm. and um got into hunting was to try and reduce or or to not reduce, that's not that's that's not accurate. To understand and live within a, a, a clo- closer contact with what I ate and how that came to be on my table, I know exactly what went into yeah. the steak. Yep, I know exactly because I hauled it out of the woods yep. myself. Yeah. Right? I knew exactly that vegetable
2: because
0: mm-hmm. we grew it. Yeah, I, that does, does not makes me a hero. It's it's more of a, a curiosity. Yeah. make me some some people completely disagree with as well but it was that it was like can I love and engage with Mm -hmm. and survive from earth to a greater degree Mm -hmm. yes I still eat out I drive a truck (laughs) yeah but there's other ways of yeah you know I, dig- I digress, no, absolutely,
1: <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, and it's so it's disconnected from the local government side of things and everything, but you know I think about this too i, I I'm I'm at a place in life where I'm thinking about having a family, mm-hmm. and you start to go, okay, well, what are those what are those lessons that are going to be important to pass on and everything? And like, I want my kids to know how food is grown and where mm-hmm. it comes from, and and I want them to love nature and to know that you know being in nature is uh, or, or listening to nature can be a, th- a teacher for mm-hmm. them, right? I, I want all of that. I think that's important, and so. Actually, I was I was doing some work with um, with a friend who's a runs a sports not for profit uh, nationally. They do some work in Abbotsford too. And um, the stats now are so staggering around life expectancy
2: mm.
1: um, for young people. And so kids born today are going to have a much shorter life expectancy than you and I.
0: I just read that this morning. Devastating. I read the headline. Right. Devastating. Well, it's 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 devastating, and it's it's sort of antithesis to this longevity movement and, and all these different things that we've assumed is like, you know, that we were on this trajectory to 175. Yeah. I'm middle-aged at 90, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm buddy. Right? But no, it's,
1: I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely devastating because, you know, okay, well, where are our societal priorities? And again, this is all just kind of how I view the world, but what, what do we choose to what do we choose to put value on? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd like to put value on on nature and on um, stewarding natural resources and appreciating them, and uh, and on play and on using your body, the physicality that's so important, and
0: the present moment. Yeah, you know, Marcus Aurelius said, and I'll butcher this too because that's what I do. <laughs> you know, something to the effect of whether a person was to live. 30,000, 3,000 years or three minutes, whatever, you know. Each person is has the same thing, and that's the present, because we don't own the past and we don't own the future. Totally. And of course, we we seek to see our children grow old and accomplish what they want to, but really, 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 I could get hit by a, you know, a car and die on, after this podcast, mm-hmm. and this is the moment I have, mm-hmm. right? or the moment I had this morning leaving you know my family to come to see you, so it's really, you're hitting on, you're hitting on it, that's the essence of it, like we get wrapped up in all this mandate and vaccine and farmer's crisis and all these things and really, 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 mm-hmm. it's important to engage in what our future looks like but what we hold now mm-hmm. is the moment and if we sacrifice too much of that because we let ourselves get carried away mm-hmm. emotionally, we're missing what we have in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the sad part. And that's the sad part because you know, you talk about life's inspection, I want you let you go back there, that it's affecting our mental health, the yeah. way that we're choosing these things. Yeah. Back to my cousin's story about the guy on the porch, it wasn't about anything other than that guy looked chill and happy mm-hmm. and present, and he wasn't feeling that.
1: Yeah. Well, not to take it to a, mm. a dark place, but yesterday was International Overdose Awareness Day,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and you hear stats, you hear numbers about people who suddenly, from you know taking, because because the toxic drug supply and everything else, whether you're a repeat user of of of, of substances or not, um, suddenly it's all it's all gone, and it, the tragedy of all of that. And I was sitting there yesterday, watching people in my community walk forward one at a time saying you know i'm taking a moment to remember my brother
3: mm-hmm.
1: my daughter people saying I, i'm remembering five names that i've lost in the last year i mean it, it, it just hits it's, you it's right wrong. and it and it's always and it's, it's the people it's the people that are left behind that, um, that are there um, holding that and holding that space and trying to keep people's memories alive and everything else. But to you and what you're saying about um, we only have that moment, that all was just reinforced very, very clearly for me. And it's like we – there are so many things affecting people's lives today um, and – Overdose crisis being one of them. you know, we got through a pandemic where there's just constantly all of these new and and, and you could go out on the street tomorrow and, and something horrible could happen. I, I understand that. but but yes, taking that space to go and appreciate this exact moment that we're in right now and investing in relationship, mm-hmm. investing in well-being and investing in or, or prioritizing in every single moment um, saying, okay, this is who. And how I, this is who I'm going to be, and this is how I'm going to show up, um, because that's that is all there is mm-hmm. um, has never been more important
0: and that you know it's it's so real too, and here's a stat. and if you want the actual number, you can listen to Peter Atia's podcast. <laughs> fantastic doctor. but to put it in relation to covid and an overdose, so that you have something that strikes you Mm -hmm. it was something to the effect of a man under the age of either 50 or 40 was up to 10 times more likely to commit suicide or overdose than die of covid 10 times like up to again it was there was a number the reason i bring that up it is everywhere yeah it is it's not just what you see in the worst neighborhood in your street or in your town for sure it is invasive to so much and we all know and that like you know it's not getting better it's not getting better yeah that's scary that is scary and that i think you know again at the home at the political at the top at every level we have to bring that compassion you talked about Mm -hmm. and awareness to this to an action to this Mm -hmm.
1: And yeah, what are healthy communities like? Mm. Right? They're ones where we show up for each other. Mm. We reduce stigma from from all of these these complex issues and we just say, listen, I'm going to have this compassion for you for where you're at right here and right now and you're going to stand up and be there for for the people in your life. That's mm-hmm.
3: it. Well,
0: <laughs> I so I have I have a few more questions. Okay. And then I would love to give you a chance to ramble on about your campaign and um <laughs> It's
1: like no one wants to hear that. <laughs> well,
0: they're gonna. Like, oh. Yeah, I've
1: been like I was like, people people like talking about wine. Politician, I don't know, people aren't as interested in that.
0: <laughs> well, they're interested in yelling at them, so <laughs> I I still would love to give you that whether or not the friendly rambler listeners sign off <laughs> i cannot control but so my first my first question was around cuz you have you've had a career in politics excuse me in pr specifically with with crisis management but mm-hmm. i wanted to ask about how people should ingest digest mm. ingest and digest yes. headlines and media as it relates to politics yeah. To avoid. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you one little piece of context while you're drinking water.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Again, I'll get it totally wrong, but it was was something to do with, in Russia, when they said something like, it was a good harvest this year, right. it meant it was shit and you're all going to starve. <laughs> and then if they said it was like an absolutely great harvest, it means it was probably an okay harvest.
1: Yeah,
3: okay.
0: So, in other words, the the way that, they conveyed information needed to be in taken a certain way. Mm. And again, we live in hot take world. We live yes. in like i'm going to take I'm going to take one sound bite from everybody on every side. and I'm mm-hmm. going to focus on that and make a headline, yeah. How does it work because you would have incited knowledge and how should we read things today?
1: Yeah, so I guess i I guess the question is a bit about the media landscape. And so, um, you know, reporters have to do more and more with less more so than, than has ever been the case. Um, you know, you used to be able to be a journalist that had to file one story, and you had time to go interview people, you had your filing deadline, that was it. Mm. Now your journalists today are multimedia journalists. They've got to file multiple stories in a day. Maybe maybe it's something a little different for, um, for social. Then they've got to do a video. Maybe they're doing some audio. I don't know. Like, there's lots of things that they have to add on to their coverage. And so doesn't give you the time and space to delve very deeply on an issue. So that's challenge number one. The other challenge is that um, you see fewer and fewer um, subject matter experts in media. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, used to have people that's like, I'm someone's a health expert and they have been covering health news and know the space and know the ins and outs of it, um, for 25 years. Like we have very few of those people now. Um,
0: commentators are generous and I don't mean, mm-hmm. you mean like guests, guest commentators are not as uh, the experts they used to be.
1: Uh, no, I mean even just used to have in-house oh, okay. subject matter experts, Even even your financial reporters and everything used to have many more that would have a specific area of expertise. Maybe they actually had some sort of educational accreditation in that space. Mm -hmm. Maybe they um, yeah. It was just there was a higher depth of expertise um, embedded in those uh, in those media outlets. Why was that? Well, you know, we get to the place where we are at today where, you know, it's hard to make money in media. Um, or I should say it's hard to make money in news. <laughs> and so with fewer and fewer resources, you don't get to hire all of those, uh, those quality um, those quality journalists who've got so much experience. And that's not to say that folks that are in journalism now are not quality. I want to say that they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're great, but they just have to do more. And um, there's far more junior reporters than folks with with that depth of experience. And so, you know, when you're when you're going out and saying hey, people go, why don't why don't people cover um, this story that's important? They're all covering all of this silly stuff. Well. <laughs> They're covering what gets eyeballs um, because that's that's the model now. Um, it's really hard to do a, a subscriber model. People don't want to pay for news. Um, they think it should be for free.
0: Even, and even the subscriber model is dangerous because you can get captured by your own audience mm-hmm. in order to sustain your subscriber base. Totally. So it's like catch 22. Totally. It's
1: really hard. And so it's, yeah. do you see news as um, as content or do you see news as a public good? Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately, we've moved to a place where everything is content, mm-hmm. and it's hard to get. It's hard to get news. I think of my community in terms of uh, reporting resources. Again, I used to run public relations out of out of the mayor's office, and I loved working with our local reporters. But you, you, you kind of go, you're one person. Mm-hmm. You're one person trying to cover city hall it's hard enough for it's hard enough for somebody who knows in depth how government works to sit there and get through a council report and know what questions to ask and look through the budget and everything else one person doing that is so challenging and um and so just fewer and fewer resources um all all across the board lead to less information less awareness and so all of this uh, so I'm just giving you all of these rambly things about where the media landscape is at and how hard it is but it means that um, there's a lot more room for the manufacturing of news and the manufacturing of content and so uh, because reporters are so resourced, you know when you know, write a press release and you 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 do you do a reporter's job for them, you oftentimes can get further ahead in advancing your story or advance advancing whatever message it is that you want out there, um, because there's less ability to delve deeper or, you know, go and get a, a conflicting perspective and present different sides, um, and uh, and different viewpoints. So it makes it really hard for your average person to uh, to navigate, mm-hmm. like what they see in the headline is typically manufactured or you know you see um you see outlets where the journalist doesn't even get the say over what the headline is going to be um they write an article and then an editor comes up with a headline and i mean it happens quite often where you see this big flashy over the top headline Mm -hmm. and then you read the article and you go that is not what this article is saying. Like this is actually really disconnected. Yeah. Um, but people Clickbait. will only read the headline mm-hmm. and uh, and assume that, you know, it's representative and that your article is building the case for that headline when it absolutely isn't. Mm-hmm. And so all of this is to say or what's what's important here is that if you are somebody who is a consumer of news, you got to dig you got to dig deeper and it just means we've all got more work to do. Mm-hmm. See, this is see. I'm very, see, I'm a very uncool guest. I just told everybody we all just have mm-hmm. to work harder, mm-hmm. do more stuff.
0: Yeah, but you also <laughs> told them to drink at the beginning. <laughs> I go to a silence retreat in, right? in Taiwan, so you're not, you're not uncool, right?
1: So, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> tell, tell my high school friends otherwise. No, but it's we've got to just spend more time mm-hmm. and recognize that you you get you get what you pay for too. Mm-hmm. You get what you're willing to invest in. And so, if you're just going to consume a bunch of a bunch of free news from Facebook, or I shouldn't even say news, a bunch of free content through Facebook, the quality of it's probably not great.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there two opposing, or four opposing, like two, two and two, or one in the middle, that you would recommend for someone who wants to take a holistic view on just about anything that matters in our, at least in our country, Canada? They should mm. read or check out these two on one side, and these two on the other. Or do not oh, have that. Oh,
1: that's an interesting one, and I'm str- I would struggle to answer it.
0: I, I, I always get you. think you know. Like, I wasn't <laughs> trying to trap you. I <laughs> yeah, promise that. no. I mean,
1: like I, like I can't just say, "Oh, go read the Globe and Mail and the National Post." I don't think that's the answer. Mm. Should read those. I that's mean, they great, do have you know. They
0: have different leans for it's, sure. It's great to read those. Yeah.
1: I'm a big believer in, in community reporting, community-level reporting. Mm-hmm. The problem is the resources are just fewer and fewer these days. Oh, God,
0: yeah. The, the um, ghost, the ghost op- or not the ghost office, op- just like the abandoned former, this was the Abbotsford Times, this was the Chilliwack. Whatever you know what I mean? Yeah, like, the
1: progress. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. There's a hollowing out for sure. What I will say though, what I find encouraging is that there are little startups that have that have begun, and it really to me is about reevaluating what the business model is. And so you have startups like there's the Fraser Valley Current. Um, there are you know there's there's community level people or reporters that have said, listen, I can make a living at this. Just me, maybe an additional reporter. I can do this. I can cover my community, and I'll ask people to pay for it. And I think that's an interesting model. We are—we have to move away from it's because media. You got big conglomerations of media that own everything. It makes it—it makes it tough because they are. You know, it's like they're publicly traded. They've got to report earnings and everything else. And in reality, things have shifted. News is not that profitable, Mm -hmm. but it might be profitable enough for a qualified writer make a go of it themselves they're just not um they're just not you know pulling in massive returns that can be you know given out as a dividend (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. no i hear you that's really it's really interesting is that that, to hear that there's new startups and i yeah and one of the things that i've always wanted to see is again i I don't like corporate censorship or you know and and i think that's a muddy subject and a tough subject for companies like facebook and twitter i get that Mm -hmm. but as a you know, kind of like how anyone who shared a different view of COVID, they put the COVID disclaimer, mm-hmm. different view from the, the mainstream narrative, do that with anything, but not like the government's view, like, mm-hmm. okay, so you listened to so-and-so talk about this issue from this context. And then there's a little, you. maybe it's not a disclaimer, maybe it's just a, in the curation of content and moving away from the echo chamber, you may also appreciate hearing this side of mm-hmm. it from this person. You know, I don't, I don't know if it, it would even be that intelligent where they could find kind of two minds of, who had that kind of similar flavor. Like if you, back in the day when you'd have Sam Harris who's a, f, you know, f, intellectual, um, academic. Uh, anyway, he's incredibly, he's meditation, all yeah. kinds of wonderful things. He's got a great podcast. To, who wrote a book called The End of Faith so he was very mm-hmm. much in that camp. Sure. Debate somebody like Richard Dawkins, who, um, sorry, no, Richard Dawkins is also in that camp. Yeah, it's, like, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, someone like, like Jordan Peterson, who would be faith-based, and they do this, but right. at a broader scale, where you have two personalities who can handle each other right. intellectually, they can handle each other at, as entertainment, as content. Yeah. Yeah but broader to encourage that like cuz cuz then it's like well how do i search for the the guy or the gal on the other side of this that i don't really know because yeah. i don't follow them yeah. but i actually would like to hear their take on yeah. this even if it's not a debate at least i'm getting okay okay now i've got Yeah. Both. I'm I'm leaving i'm leaving yeah. this little you know session with both.
1: Yeah. No i think that's valuable we should always seek out you know a, a, an opposing view or something that's going to challenge you back um, i also caution people though against the Two like the two sidedness yeah, too. We were like, there's not there's not always two sides. You know, like some sometimes, sometimes. And again, this is that philosophical yeah. piece of of where you draw the line mm-hmm. and what you're going to agree to and not agree to. But you know, in my view, I think there are some objective facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if we can't align on on on, on some of those. No wonder, no wonder we're all mm-hmm. shooting off in different directions, and things are messy, and we can't find common ground. Like
0: that's that's where the I think that's where the, the again the steelman argument comes into play, where they are in a way finding the objectivity inside both yeah. arguments and choosing to come out to a different place. But and I agree with you saying I and maybe it's just a a, a small step in mm-hmm. in the direction of at least balancing. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, the I don't think the echo chamber is healthy for anybody. Yeah, so. we
1: have gotten to the place though where there yeah. absolutely is no room for nuance. It seems in the public discourse, <sighs> no. you know, like there is I think this should happen. Well, then, are you against this? Yeah. Like, no. There's, but okay. can't solve that problem today.
0: <laughs> no, no, and I've and I've I've you've got to get back on the campaign trail here. So, um, <laughs> my last my last question, and then to your campaign is um. I always ask this question. I want to know about daily routines and/or creative process. Mm-hmm. So, how do you go about your day? What do you do? What are your things that make you feel good in your day? And when you need to be creative, when you need to get you know something important done, what is what's your routine around that specifically?
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. I'll have to answer this honestly, which is that my routine is not very good. (laughs) And uh, life is very off balance right now. (laughs) That's the truth. Uh, It's um, I would love to, uh, I wake up at five in the morning and I do yoga. I don't do that. But you
0: did email me at like uh, five this morning. So you are up. (laughs) I I
1: woke up at four in the morning to be able to, uh, to- Look as
0: fresh as you look. I mean,
1: yeah, it's it's concealer. I would look. like... <laughs> no, it's I. It got up really, really early because I knew I needed to to get some work done. Um, I have some you know some folks that needed some emails from me who were in Toronto, and so to get ahead of the time,
3: it's like uh, the oldest. You're West. just like you know, I'm like
1: okay, it'll be in their inbox before they wake up, so then I don't have to deal with the you know the incoming as the day goes on so so it was that it's it was get up super early and uh did i go to spin class today no i did not like my routine is otherwise
0: your normal i would say i would
1: say an ideal day is you know i'll get up around five Mm -hmm. have some water Take a couple moments, plan out what I want the day to look like. Do a workout. Um, just need to do that working out part more. Uh, but I'd do that. I'd come home and then and then dive into dive into the work. I will say one thing that's that's changed in my life, and one thing that I'm really grateful for is is having the support of my partner. Mm-hmm. I th- was always somebody that was very used to doing everything by myself, and and I, and I still have that tendency. Oh, like that's that's too hard for you. That's too much work. I'll do it. Let me just do it. Like mm-hmm. let me just do it. And I'm really really quick to take it back on. And um, and I've had to learn throughout my career, but also through my relationship, that I don't have to do it all, and that I can't do it all. Um, and so I would say part of that day to day routine now is setting intentional time with my partner to talk about his day. Mm-hmm. And- See what happened for him, and support him, and um, for me to share, you know, the, the the trials and tribulations that happened in mine, mm-hmm. and carve that out, prioritize it, mm-hmm. um, because doing this whole politics thing, um, you know, there are so many amazing people that come into your life, but what really matters is the relationships you have beforehand. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those deep friendships, those connections, the people that you love that matter to you, um, you, you can't lose sight of continuing to build in and invest in those relationships. Mm-hmm. So I'm consistently needing to remind myself to do that. So that's, I would say that that's kind of the, the good routine. Then I'll like eat dinner, I'll do usually a bunch, of, um, a bunch of public things, I'll go out, I'll meet with people and everything else. I come home, I do more work, and then I try cool. to be off of technology by 9 p.m. That's good. I tr- like I and I have had to learn, like you don't answer the phone after nine o'clock.
0: I'm seven. That's My phone goes probably, on silent at seven. Yeah. But you're you're in the midst of something that that yeah. requires a shift in that and yeah. That's a busy day. I'm tired just thinking about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing too. Like I think as a society we're way too obsessed with busyness okay. and again optimize 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 and no the the most the most powerful thing is is just taking intentional time mm-hmm. to be with the people that you love
0: wonderful did you want to touch on the creative creativity one or just move on
1: oh the creativity one yeah do you
0: have like a little
1: so light for a me, candle it's always been dance ah. it's always been dance i danced all through my life ever since mm-hmm. i was a kid i did ukrainian dance for many years mm-hmm. my family's ukrainian so ukrainian dance was always an outlet and then for years it was ballet and everything I, you know, I'd probably be a lot more fit if I still did ballet, um, but I do not anymore. But I think it's, to me, it's, it sounds so cheesy. It's like a little dance break. Like, <laughs> seriously, like, you, like, turn on a little music, get back into your body. It and, works. And it just changes, it changes the energy, changes everything. And I, uh, I, I think it's, I'm talking about faith now, but I think it's the Baha'i faith. Um, it talks about creativity and the act of making things making art is how you find yourself closest to God mm-hmm. the act of creation making a sculpture painting Abdullah? whatever it is
0: Abdullah Abdullah is that the guy who's the prophet of the Baha'i faith
1: I don't know
0: I, I don't know new, enough I but, but I remember that
1: resonated with me I went that's really that's really yeah. beautiful of course and so
0: it's spiritual too though like yeah. I mean we like I they the last person on this podcast i think in the order this will go is martine Cleason, who's a kundalini oh, cool. dance instructor yeah. in vancouver and i mean i mean my wife had incredible healing mm. through going through that process Amazing. and it's yeah at the end of the day the simplest way to describe it is just dance taking time to dance and just it just processes totally right
1: or is it if I can't dance, I don't want to be part of your revolution? Like,
0: so when you get elected, are you gonna have a little, little jig? will just do do like the Ellen
1: show. No, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that could be a little shtick <laughs> for you. You could just have like, you know, it's like. You know, Alex, we gotta make you a little more relatable to the calm person, so we need you to dance.
1: I feel like, as a as a <laughs> comms person, I feel like any time the politicians start dancing, you know you're in trouble. Yeah. Like no one wants that. That's not a great look. <laughs> but
0: if you can dance, then right. they're gonna be it's like,
1: What oh, cool. is
0: going on here?
1: <laughs> hey, I didn't say I dance well. I just said I like to dance.
0: <laughs> I just, didn't, yeah. I just, I, I interpreted that you danced well. That was my. I
1: mean, I, I kind of do. It's you do. I do. I
0: do. There you go. Just own it. Own it. You can. And dance
1: <laughs> yeah but no i i love that you asked that creative outlets are so important i fun actually now i'm thinking back i pesenka ukrainian like the ukrainian easter eggs okay. where you put wax over top and you dye them and everything and you sit it's like you'll sit there and you spend hours doing it huh. these intricate designs it's one of my favorite times of year is to sit with my mom and do that
0: that is wild yeah that's during easter given it during easter, easter okay. time yeah yeah huh so you post those ever
1: yeah yeah, that I means you got to have a steady hand, you got to be patient, and you got to be okay with, you know, sometimes you put the egg in the dye, And I've definitely cracked a few eggs in my life, and you have to learn to go, mm-hmm. okay, that's okay.
0: This is why I said at the very beginning of our chat that me- you don't have to meditate, air yeah. quotes, every day, because all of these different intentional things can become yeah. meditation, right? They can become healing dance that focused art. Mm-hmm. They Everything can become your meditation. spiritual... Yeah, your spirit. Anything, yeah. literally anything. Yeah. You can bring that into your council meeting where you're just going to be intentional and present and letting go of the thoughts that are coming in that aren't, you know, you talked about that voice. Yeah. <laughs> that that will be there in that meeting and you can be intentional about it And that's meditative. Mm-hmm. All right, the moment is yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm being tongue-in-cheek. I just, I wanted... To give you a chance to to just share without me interjecting, without questions, just share what it is you want to about your bid for office, yeah. <laughs> run for council. <laughs> bid for office sounds so like <laughs> it's very official,
2: very official.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I, I'll, I'll share this because I know your I know your listeners come from come from all over, but um, but for me, it's. Uh, it comes down to my community, it comes down to Abbotsford, and prioritizing a few things. Number one is being a more business friendly community. Mm-hmm. You talked about that already. The, the ability to say yes to uh, to economic development, to investment, and to you know the, this this all the, all the entrepreneurs and the the. Um, the young folks that are coming back to Abbotsford from, you know, maybe they've lived in Vancouver, for example, are coming back and they want to start businesses. Let's make this a place that they can do that and be successful. Um, the other part is focusing on livability, and that's everything from things for seniors to do to things for young people to do. Having the right kind of amenities, investing in the infrastructure, whether that's parks and trails, or whether that's the um, the really, really basic thing of sidewalks. You know, like this is, this is what local governments... Uh, Is about in many ways. It's it's that local infrastructure having sidewalks that are connected and don't just uh, spontaneously stop, and then you're suddenly on a roadway. Like let's have a community where people can walk Mm -hmm. and go from place to place and frequent some of those local businesses and enjoy a greater quality of life. And the other part is is safety. Want to build a safer community, and um, you know. Supporting first responders, um, you know, like our firefighters who are out there uh, responding to more and more complex calls than they've ever had to face before. Making sure that police are able to respond to the things that they can respond to. But also advocating for the additional investments into mental health support, social workers, folks that are able to help us deal with what has become uh, an increasingly Challenging drug supply, um, all of the mental health issues that are that are affecting people, um, to be able to actually start getting our hands handle on homelessness, and then of course affordability. Affordability is a concern everywhere, um, not just in in Metro Vancouver, um, but in the Fraser Valley, and then and then all over Canada, lots of urban centers. Um, affordability is something we need to address, and the more that we can at the city level, at the local level. Cut down on red tape, you know, efficiently process applications and everything else, then we'll be able to start making sure that we have the housing that people need, the flexibility and types of housing to support, you know, to support households and support families in all of their diversity of needs. So that was those are all of the politician things that I could say. Um, but those, but that's what I really care about. Um, but if I were to summarize it all, it really is about Making sure our community is set up for long-term growth, and uh, making sure that there's opportunity for the next generation.
0: Here, here, thank you. <laughs> I commend you. I, I've said that a few times. I think I, I just I do. I, you know, you're you're making a choice that's not easy to step in, and I wanted to talk to you anyway after we met and after our mutual friend introduced reintroduced us, and and, and so I was curious about you anyway, but. I'd never given this platform to to that um, to this conversation conversation yeah. about politics, but I, I again, I just I commend you for doing that. I, I wish you incredible success. I'm now a citizen of Agassiz, <laughs> so I can't vote for you, which <laughs> uh, is
1: uh, I guess that's two, okay. Two know.
0: towns over,
1: <laughs> you know, a typical politician <laughs> would say, "Oh gosh, I can't show up." But just, you know, we'll, we'll 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 cut off the conversation uh, now, right? But I would. <laughs>
0: Thank based you. on this whole experience. And I think that you're bringing a very balanced, well-rounded look at what it takes to to get things done. And I know this from being an entrepreneur and getting things done and not getting things done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, it's just as fresh as it's exciting. And I think that I hope that it also inspires more people to that you can bring them into this world mm-hmm. as a voter, as someone who just wants to, to be involved, as someone who wants to share a nice message or an honest message. I hope that you can be that and go wherever you wanna go with it, whether city council's the end. I know we discussed your goals offline, but you sound like you're someone who's, there's a lot of very exciting and interesting things in your life ahead of you. So um, yeah, where can they find you if you happen to be from Abbotsford how can and should they engage (laughs) and find you specifically to the campaign yeah um yeah. And if you had any parting words.
1: First of all, you know, this has been really, this has been really, really nice because I've been a fan of you for a really long time. So this is really special. I appreciate getting the chance to just sit here and have this rich conversation. Um, so thank you for that.
0: Well, thank you. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> if people are wanting to find me, social media is all there. But, um, but I have a website. It's alexforabby.ca. And people can, people can give me a call. Can email me. Happy to chat. If um, you want,
0: she'll knock on your door.
1: Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah, it's like I don't DM. do house calls. So I don't know. Um. <laughs> I didn't mean that for that to sound creepy.
0: If it did, it was. <laughs> Hopefully, you listened to that part of the conversation. Before.
1: Oh, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, I'm you know ha- happy to chat with anyone, and even if you're not from Abbotsford, I'd love to meet you too. So it's all it's all good. But I think I would want to leave people with with this. You know. I think that uh, the democracy we end up with is the one that we invest in and is the one that we show up to shape. And so however you choose to do that, whether that's volunteering, whether that's um, going to your city council meeting and you know yelling at potentially me, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully you can do so without yelling. That would be great. But you know, however you choose to show up and, and engage um, does matter, and I encourage people to do it more consider running for office, consider, you know, volunteering for a committee, doing what you can um, to be of service in the community you live in. That's what it all comes down to. Thank you, Alex. Thank you.
0: As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. We know, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the the solution, the the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you. make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others you know all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post anything, we'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on, of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace.